This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. Today, we are going to tackle a very fraught topic that is getting no small amount of news coverage at this time, um, and especially in the sort of arena that we have delved into on this podcast of things that are on the liminal or subliminal scale uh, in the conspiracy realm. I think it's this looms rather conspiracy. large. Yeah, it's the preeminent conspiracy of our day, I would say. Uh, definitely in like the mainstream press, like it is the conspiracy of 2020 and of recent years. Yeah, and not for lack of competition, we might add. True, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, of course, is the phenomenon of QAnon. Yeah. And a, a few people have asked us to do an episode on QAnon um, and sort of see what our analysis of it is. And I mean, <laughs> I think um, we were just talking before we started recording about how slippery and kind of difficult it is to sort of get a full handle on the Q phenomenon, which has been going on since late 2017 and has kind of morphed. Uh, I guess it stayed somewhat ideologically uh, and theoretically consistent, but it has so many offshoots um, by nature. It is, it's both controlled tightly by a series of trip codes that have identified themselves on 4chan and 8chan and 8kun as, uh, as Q, a supposed military intelligence high-level insider. Um, but then the community around Q is so decentralized and diffuse and you know it's like and it's so yeah. it's it theoretically off... it's theoretically controlled tightly by q like if q gave any directive that was like clear people would in the who you know subscribe to QAnon would have to sort of follow it but at the same time i really do think that there are people at this point who are in the QAnon orbit who are actually skeptical even of q himself or you know, uh, I saw just as I was researching uh, Q for this, I, I came across some article that was like, even if Q turns out to be a CIA LARP, 
you know, the revelations that you've had, the awakening you've had as a result of looking into this is still legitimate, you know, things like that. So (laughs) I think that it's and just because of the way that even very early on, even like the original Q posts and I like personally believe that the like the identity of Q has changed, like that the person who was posting originally as Q is not the same person posting today. Mm -hmm. But even in the early days when there was more substance, what he was saying, it was still very impressionistic and open to interpretation by design. And now today, if you look on like eight Kuhn where he posts now, a lot of the posts are like, you know, just stay the course, you know, like very curt, like very, you know, clip sort of uh Mm -hmm. statements that like are just you know everything's good like trust the plan and like you know no actual like guidance or directives so yeah it it almost reminds me this is kind of a left field uh comparison but it reminds me when celebrities get big enough on twitter and they can just tweet something like about to turn up and it gets like 500,000 likes and rts like immediately and it's like they don't even have to try it's just they're continuing a kind of a parasocial relationship um they're just sort of maintaining that connection to their fan base but it's like they'll post a video of like an american flag flapping in the wind that's just some youtube stock footage or uh i think a few days ago they posted just like a rig for red in all caps and of course there's a million different ways that you could interpret rig for red (laughs) I mean, uh, like, is Q saying they're going to rig the election for the Republicans or is he, you know what I mean? Like, is it it, a command to like just vote, you know, or like you could interpret it in any number of ways, you know, because that's the thing from the very beginning, like from or from very, very early on when Q started circulating like on Twitter or in, in social media, like it had the characteristics of a messianic movement, which is what it is mm-hmm. like uh, the messianic figure really is Trump. But Q's statements are like esoteric poetry uh, that can be interpreted in all sorts of various ways. Um, I saw people, you know, looking at the numerological significance of his trip codes and things like that, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and, and I, like, I think we can get back into that. We will talk a little bit because I, I, I feel in a weird way. I know much more about the sort of uh, the, the sort of channer ops or phenomena that happened just prior to the existence of Q than I do kind of about the Q phenomenon itself in a granular way. But we will talk about how, like, you know. I mean, and we've talked so much about magic and the different kind of definitions of magic on this podcast and the idea of like trip codes and the discovery, I think it was in 2016, of the Egyptian god Kek, the yeah. who is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but was like actually Egyptologists would describe him as the Egyptian god of chaos. Um, he, It's like a god of, for one, like Egypt... <laughs> Egypt is like an immense civilization, like the the cliche that gets thrown around, like, you know, a it's a temporally like immense like civilization in the span of time to talk about. Like the cliche that always gets thrown around is like we are closer to uh, Cleopatra than Cleopatra was to the pyramids, you know. Wow. So it's like a huge like uh, and there's great diversity in terms of the expressions of the Egyptian religion. And like Kek is uh, or like kook or whatever like you know uh is a very minor like deity that like people associated with 
you know, people had kind of associated it with Toad. So there was like a Pepe connotation. And that yeah, was the big I, revelation is that both the two synchronicities were that Pepe had obviously become the dominant mascot of 4chan by that point for many years. And on top of that, the word Keck, I believe it came supposedly the the history of the word keck on 4chan was i think it was like a, a korean person was typing on a korean keyboard and there was some kind of glitch where i don't yeah. I, I think it was koreans where they would type lol but then it would transliterate as kek so then yes. people just started adopting that as sort of the 4chan way of saying lol or yes. or even I, in a way like i don't know keck this like up and give it more attention I remember that, like, in Blizzard games, people would say, like, Zergrush, like, ki-ki-ki, like, you know, uh, uh-huh. I think that they were saying, like, LOL, but I'm like, yeah, but definitely it was, like, a, a it's a modification of LOL or a corruption of LOL as Keck, but... Yeah, so the that was which also almost fact. like it goes back to even it almost even goes back to earlier Channer ops like the like the Russell League and Weave that that neo Nazi. Um, uh, who was yeah. very, you know, the hacker um, from the early 2010s and how, uh, you know, I remember reading the kind of the, the first, you know, Gawker or Vice articles about them way back in the day and, you know, kind of pushing all of their more sketchy, problematic aspects kind of under the rug because they said they did it for the lulls was the term back then. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it, it's the, the idea of doing something for the lulls is very core to kind of 4chan's mission over the years yeah it, it's well, their think, core philosophy of that message board yeah and i think that the the excitement over the idea that they are performing magic is because they felt that they had memed trump's candidacy into being a thing they felt that yes. like by you know being like kind of semi-ironically in favor of trump like especially on the poll board which mm-hmm. is just like really infested with uh, like or just very like racist, you know, just a lot of disgruntled people who like because they're anonymous, like very, of course, I, this has just been like dragged through like every think piece like for the last uh, four years. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, like uh, I think that that was the, like, you know, the Keck had like blessed them in some way was the, the, the idea, which is like kind of tongue in cheek. Was that you know there had been this they performed meme magic that had caused this effect in the real world of, of Trump's candidacy and I Absolutely. think that yeah and they believed that beforehand too throughout 2016 they believed that they were doing meme magic so it wasn't just after the fact that they sort of had this revelation but they felt that they were engaged I remember at the time they would you know all these 4chan accounts would flood uh, Twitter and you know say like veteran of the 2016 meme wars and stuff and yeah. they would be fighting what they saw at the time was meme warfare. And uh, yeah, yeah, but of course it's all like very you know they would like laugh at our taking it like uh, seriously you know because it's all again like a lot of this stuff there's like a tongue in cheek aspect to it but that's part and parcel of it that there's like sort of an ironic patine over it but it also like there's kind of an excitement and like a real like oh my god like you know this is like really happening like ah you know like uh so Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I think was the sort of. the that was the the vibe or the the attitude or the energy of it and yeah i mean i use 4chan like for a long time like you know i was much more like i'm not very active like on there now and i usually use like some of the more marginal boards like i wasn't really like a big like b person uh although like i would go on 
Paul now and again. You know, it used to be like a very like Ron Paul type of uh, yeah. place. Yeah. Like, I, I uh, actually have to say, for according to my memory, I think that you were the first person who ever introduced me to the idea of 4chan or showed it to me like way back in the late yeah. 2000s. And, and it I, was, I mean, it was an edgy place that was rife with racist language and certainly with like neo-nazis but it, it was also i i mean i had other friends too who were kind of nowhere into near it. as bad as it used to be as it, as it is now it was nowhere yeah. near as bad as it is now uh, it accelerated like, yes, tremendously people, um, people definitely like were all about being provocative on there on purpose especially on b but like it really escalated around and i think that the like makeup of the boards changed or especially of like the poll board like changed around the election i think this is part of the genesis of q in a very i think there's many like folds and dimensions to q but on a superficial level i really do think that because there was attention to 4chan in the mainstream media like through hillary saying like these deplorables from mm-hmm. these dark web sites such as <laughs> 4channel you know like yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. i think that a lot of boomers actually came and didn't understand like kind of because there were all sorts of posts that were kind of like q to like you said like to varying degrees like you know i remember there was one post that was like you know there would be posts like i'm a time traveler you know like uh, there's going to be a great civil war where the democrats will be led by harry reed like and they will march you know like on yeah, like, and yeah. be, like this big and people would just play along you know people would be like oh you know what happens like to do with this event you know that's unfolding now like in the future you know stuff like For that sure. x is rife with that stuff where it's like i'm a vampire like ask me anything you know like uh-huh. things like yeah, that yeah 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 uh, x the paranormal board definitely had yeah. a lot of this and it was more like coast to coast radio kind of stuff yeah, that content, back going into the even I think the early 2010s. Um, yeah, the content varied, but there's a lot of role playing, and I think that a lot of people who weren't familiar with that type of discourse like flooded the border on 2016, especially boomers, and mm-hmm. that's like part of the reason why now we're seeing Q like really suffuse boomers like so like so much. Like it's I think it's probably most popular among like older people like i don't i, I like would say it. that's definitely true though i think there's another dimension almost the flip side of that where i believe that not only did the boomers come to q's layer on 4chan but q in a way came to the boomers true. by uh by basically becoming a force on more mainstream platforms and particularly yes. on facebook where it is kind of like the boomer uh, uh social media platform par excellence and and maybe the more you would say almost the normiest in 4chan parlance yes uh, i think that there social were a couple platform. i think there were a couple vanguardists who were like the people who'd be like veteran of the meme wars like yeah some of those people are like 20 but like a lot of them are like well memed sir like 40 year olds like trying to be cool <laughs> like i think that a lot of those people were the vanguard who then were the ambassadors of Q to like you know the larger public on Facebook and Twitter and true. Stuff like that. I, I mean, so, I yeah. think I think a lot of them. I noticed a lot of them in 2016. Kind of that's where often the point of contact was. Was you had these sort of meme lords from 4chan who probably were on the younger side, kind of flooding twi- political Twitter right at the time when the most you know most eyeballs possible were on it. As this crazy 2016 election reached you know its finale. And that's where a lot of these boomers that were on Twitter uh, encountered these 4chan meme lords. And I think you're right, like didn't quite uh, understand the full scope of irony that was at play and the sort of inherent discordianism 
of 4chan culture and discourse, but also I think that Q had a lot of kind of stylistic and rhetorical differences than maybe some of uh, its predecessors that were on 4chan that were more boomer friendly to begin with. Like just for example, if, if we want to go to the 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 latest Q post that posted on September 20th, uh, 2020, number 4739, he just posted a, well, let me just, it's a paragraph. Let me just read it. Okay. Strengthen my faith, Lord. Forgive my sins so that I may be clean in your righteousness. Make me brave so I can stand and fight the spiritual battles in my life and in our world. Give me your wisdom and discernment so I won't be caught off guard. Together, Lord, we'll win, because in truth you already have. While evil still roams, the power of your name and your blood rises up to defeat and bring us victory against every evil plan against us. While malicious actions may disturb us, we use the armor of God you have given us to stand firm. You will bring justice in due time for all the harm and needless violence aimed at your children. Until then, we remain in your presence aligned with your purposes, and we look to you as our supreme commander and protector. Help us to avoid temptation and deliver us from evil, Lord. You are the mighty one, the one who will ultimately bring all evil to light. With you, Jesus, we are safe. Amen. Uh, so, you know, like yeah. that could have been posted by any boomer on Facebook. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, the certainly the for, like the stereotypical 4chan user, like, generally, like, you know, across the various eras of 4chan, like, is someone who mostly is kind of, like, young, disillusioned, like, uh, a little bit, uh, like, you know, eccentric, like, uh, and I think that the sort of style of discourse is very nihilistic. Like, nothing where it's, like, the core thing is, like, patriotism is gonna like really be like for that audience like the way no that no yeah, like, exactly to know, use another like, term that 4chan coined like people on 4chan uh, well i guess we're really talking now about like 8chan and 8kun whatever like they're they're too black pilled to uh respond to that type of messaging so there had to be a kind of conscious effort on q's part or whoever is behind Q to kind of uh, play. I mean, it takes a little bit of sophistication, I think, to be able to play this kind of ARG type game with disillusioned channers, uh, but then also post this content that is like very Facebook share friendly. And it's like anybody that's already kind of an evangelical Christian who is, uh, you know, supportive of Trump and maybe a little bit suspicious about, you know, the evil, evil Democrat elites or whatever. I mean, I don't think anybody would find anything controversial about that sort of Bible prayer that, you know, he just posted. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and like, there's nothing possibly controversial in it. But yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I imagine that the landscape of A-Chan has been, like, incredibly transformed by Q because now it's, like, the main Q hub. Well, well A-Chan doesn't that, exist. Yeah. In, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, right. Now it's 8 So now it's 8-Kun, which right, feels yeah. like a much more skeletal kind of channer board. Um, yeah, maybe 4-Chan is what's changed more because 4-Chan already got left in the dust when Q moved over to 8chan and 4chan almost has been like it's got too big of a spotlight on it that it's not it doesn't have the underground kind of vibe that it has anymore i'm sure there's still all kinds of nazi edgelords and trump yeah. fans well, and people like that Q, on there yeah in terms of Q, yeah and also yeah it's definitely become something much more mainstream but the yeah like our, but i do remember that 8chan has existed like for a while and i remember people talking i mean there are lots of like 4chan knockoffs but yeah, originally 8chan was, like, for people who, for whatever reason, like, felt they couldn't be on 4chan or, like, certain boards, like, were taken away and they wanted Wasn't to go to what, Didn't it have something to do with, like, like child porn anime or something like that? 
Uh, maybe you know that would make because people which would is get deeply banned. ironic people if would you get think about banned it for posting like you know Lolita stuff and then they would go to HN uh, you know things like that so that maybe yeah it is deeply ironic but yeah because that was also a thing that coexisted with kind of the 4chan world it was like it it, it was, it was a in a way yeah. a, bl- like, a basket of deplorables broadly defined in that you had like basically like creepy like I mean some things were just like you know people with like kind of odd fetishes and things like that but like oftentimes there was a kind of creepy like you know anime Lolita kind of thing oh, going yeah, on sure. there well the whole like CP like posting CP like you know was a whole like thing it was a whole meme like uh you know it's awful like and moot was right to like you know slam down on anyone who posted child porn on 4chan but absolutely <laughs> yeah. like you know the like yeah the idea that this is like some kind of like back channel for patriotism yeah it's it, like in the fight to get to save the children is like deeply ironic because yeah it was it's been a hub for for pedophiles yeah and, and that would bring us to like one of the many many contradictions inherent in sort of the Q character and kind of their selective targeting because I think one thing I don't know about you call it but personally that I'm not going to do in terms of uh, you know critiquing the QAnon phenomenon is I'm not going to stand here and either snark at them or scold them that elite child sex abuse does not go on. And even that to a certain degree that satanic ritual abuse has never gone on in American history with powerful, well-connected people. Um, I will like, I will grant them kind of an open door on that because as we've talked about in multiple previous episodes, there's a lot of strange infernal smoke around a lot of different characters in the 20th century. And even as we saw like in the satanic panic, like certain things were overblown. There was some fraudulent stuff mixed in there, but then there were like a bunch of people who got sentenced to death row to murder people so they could get 10,000 souls in hell. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'll even take it a step farther and say that even if like, you know, there were nothing to that. I think that the impulse, like you can't really critique the impulse to want to protect children you know like the idea is a noble one and it's a natural thing that people are drawn to which is like wanting to protect children from harm because they're Mm -hmm. innocent like you know they like they're innately innocent you know they're they're the ultimate you know uh thing that that we want to that we want to protect you know they uh maybe we think of our own childhoods like for whatever reason there's a deep revulsion at the idea that children are being harmed oh and, yeah yeah it's one but, of the most deeply rooted uh, in even in our sort of ide- ideologically sclerotic like partisan culture that i think most people can agree on as a deeply held like visceral principle yes that but, children ought to be protected but i think the flip side of that is that that revulsion and that impulse is very powerful and to Mm -hmm. think that people won't exploit that or manipulate it or use it is naive like you know the very people you know uh the evil satanists who are all out to destroy our lives and manipulate us to think that they won't see like oh you know uh one way to really get people on board with something is to manipulate their need to protect their children. Like, you know, I think that there is sort of a, a, a an interesting flip that can happen there. It's kind of, uh, we were talking earlier this week when we first were talking about doing this episode about this Time Magazine article, and one of the best parts of it, I'll read now. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, uh, so this, uh, you know, QAnon supporter 
um, Arthur and Frank explain that they're not followers of QAnon. That's their last name, so these are women. Frank mm-hmm. says she spends most of her free time researching child sex trafficking, while Arthur adds that she often finds this information on the Russian-owned search engine Yandex. You know, throwing the little thing at Russia there. But I've seen that. Uh, a lot of yeah. people doing that now. Uh, Frank's eyes fill with tears as she describes what she's found. Children who are being raped and tortured so that the cabal can extract their blood and drink it. She says Trump has seized the blood in the black market as part of his fight against the cabal. I think if Biden wins, the world is over, basically, adds Arthur. I would honestly try to leave the country, and if that wasn't an option, I would probably take my children and sit in the garage and turn my car on, and it would be over. Okay, so what's happening here is she's saying, I've seen the, all these horrible things like happening to children that I believe are happening, and I think that Biden is part of it. So if he wins, what I'm going to do is kill my children. Like, yes. that is, like, the old, like, you know, there's something so poetic about that irony there. Like, she's yeah. just so consumed with need to protect children that this is kind of, this is resulting in a, in a desire or this sort of, like, weird uh, subconscious urge to harm her own children. And yeah. that's, like, very yeah. strange and chilling. It, it, yeah, and it speaks to the realness that these people feel of, of the threat that basically Q describes and the world, uh, the picture of the world that he paints, um, which is that, you know, yeah, they're harvesting these uh, children's blood for adrenochrome, which has been a, a conspiracy theory that has bounced around on the internet for a number of years, uh, probably since at least the 90s. And... Uh, there's no evidence for it, but I think it's one of those things, almost like the the Dracularity of 9-11 is mass ritual, that almost feels true because, like, for what other reason would you be systematically abusing children? Like, mm-hmm. even the, the thing that they're, you know, they're, like, blackmailed pedophiles who are just sickos almost feels inadequate in some way. Like, you sort of need this deeper, you know, the, either via satanic belief or that there is this, like, infernal sort of medical purpose of, like, extracting this drug, adrenochrome, which is— uh, which actually, no, you know who made up that meme, adrenochrome, bizarrely enough, was Hunter S. Thompson— Oh right, yeah. Yeah, true. it's like a it's a, a fantasy mm-hmm. sequence in Fear and Loathing in Las that's Vegas. Funny. And yeah, maybe he got the idea from when he was eating a baby. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no. To be clear, f- uh, filming the uh, oh yeah, sorry, the, it's right. filming snuff who films at who? Bohemian Grove. That was who Paul Benassi. Okay, who said right. that. Yeah, yeah. And and to be fair, he said that there was a man that came off a plane in like Las Vegas that was introduced to him as Hunter Thompson, but okay. he had never seen a picture of Hunter S. Thompson before. Like, right. didn't know who he was, so he can't yeah. say for sure. You know, maybe the uh maybe the elite pedos were trying to blackmail hunter s thompson i know if right. you're if you're an hst stan out there i don't know how many are left but uh you know maybe you could cling to that but uh that is interesting that this kind of counterculture figure who as i think i mentioned before uh one of his early jobs was uh as a security guard at the esalen institute in the 60s and like spent a year and a half uh rolling around with the spooky hell's angels uh became kind of the original memer of this f- conspiracy theory which he didn't even really intend as a conspiracy theory and i think in his formulation of it wasn't extracted from the the adrenal glands of children but it it actually set up that idea that would later be picked up by q that it is a it's adrenochrome that is extracted from like a an extremely terrified and traumatized individual because the surge of adrenaline going through that or coming out of that gland when they're put in like a life or death situation um 
allows you to extract this like very potent uh, psychoactive drug. Um, yeah, and or so I've he, heard, yeah, I've heard multiple permutations of it. And again, like these ideas are all extremely old. Like that's the thing. Like this is basically like this is Hansel and Gretel. You know, this is blood libel. Like all this stuff. Like is the idea of sinister elites harvesting like you know this is elizabeth bathory who actually did this stuff you know like uh who actually bathed in the blood of like young servants who try to prolong her life like oh, yeah, you know yeah, the I, you know the idea like so that did actually happen not only has it actually happened but people have always like had this this notion of people harvesting uh the vitality of the youth to to prolong their lives i've heard that permutation but i heard that of course you know these i've uh, there's a permutation that uh, these people aren't actually people at all, but are in fact beings from some other order of reality or from uh, deep oh, inside the earth. Well, you unless know? we forget, yeah. like he mostly gets buried now, but David, David Ike, or I don't know, right. people call him David Icky now, which is weird. Um, that's weird. Yeah, I prefer calling him David Ike, but yeah, I, that was that was a whole phenomenon. Like in the two thousands, if you wanted to go to the farthest edge of conspiracy theory, um, it was his assertion that Queen Elizabeth II was a blood drinking lizard yeah uh like a draco basically and all the world elites like the royals and the very highest people were all like basically it, it they we were living in john carpenter's they live yeah except i don't know there, there's different there's all kinds of different theories about where these uh, supposed reptilians come from some believe i remember the hollow earth theory being kind of like of course a, yeah. a fun thing on the fringe that like they've actually been living on in caverns underneath the earth for like i don't know they're descendants of the dinosaurs i guess that's and have one been... interpret well yeah because one of the famous reptoid models i mean we really should do an episode about reptoids oh we but, will like, we will yeah, you know we can't go to that reptile now but yeah yeah i mean yeah um or they yeah. or they were interdimensional uh, or they came kind of to beings. Earth and then lived under the ground, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah anyway, all kinds like, of things like that. But the, the, those were the kind of things that were flying around that that had elements of them that Q would yeah. kind of pick up on and incorporate into his meta narrative about the world. Mm. And actually, uh, even bringing up like Hansel and Gretel and like breadcrumbs, it reminds me of that quote from S.K. Bain that, and I think that's maybe yes. what I hope we try to do today, where, you know, the more astute conspiracy researchers after a while, they stop looking at the breadcrumbs and they start looking for the witch. Of human trafficking. Households in northern Italy saw their water turn to wine. Folks are quarantined, so sort of a little bonus for them. <laughs> it's a little lucky, right there, yeah. <laughs> I've signed nine pieces of bipartisan legislation aimed specifically at combating human trafficking domestically and around the globe. The worst locust crisis in decades is ravaging East Africa, threatening the food supply for millions of people. We're challenging foreign regimes that facilitate this horrible evil of sex trafficking. The Tarkan police has widened its probe into the sale of babies at Mother Teresa's charitable trust's Rachi branch. Cardinal George Pell, Vatican treasurer, found guilty of child sex abuse. The untouchables are not untouchable anymore. And, and this uh, pertains also to bishops, to cardinals, and to the Pope himself. We are going to do everything in our power to make sure... And I think that's what we're trying to do today. We're trying to figure out, like, who is the witch behind QAnon. And I'm comfortable yeah. calling them a kind of witch in the Aquino sense of, like, practicing lower black magic on the public via this character who is not what they see. I'm, I'm convinced, you know, they are not what they present themselves as. Oh, for sure. And I do think that there has been... I'm not sure what the initial 
post my theory on it my take on it is that it had the identity has changed i think now i i think it might not be jim watkins himself but now it really does seem to be like someone who's just keeping up appearances you know someone who just wants to keep this going you know whereas in the past there was more substance to what was being said and i don't know whether that was someone larping like and then once it started to take off it was co-opted and that person just kind of slipped away i don't know or but i yeah i well it's interesting if you entertain that idea of QAnon that maybe they were some kind of uh you know either renegade insider or um i don't know unstable army uh you know the former army mercenary or I don't know, uh, a kind of Cambridge Analytica, like private intelligence group that could run social media operations. And then it's sort of they either stopped doing it after a while or it got taken over by somebody else. I almost think that like the way that I see it is that maybe there is like a, a liminal phase where there's someone of that persuasion or someone, you know, like there's a psyop phase and then the way that I see it is that there's a first phase that could maybe be seen as the LARP phase, where okay. this starts out as something that's more like your conventional uh, 4chan thread or like, you know, 4chan, like, you know, FBI and on like that type of stuff, you know. Yeah, uh, we'll get to FBI and, and on. Yeah. Okay. And then maybe like people see the potential of this and there's like a Cambridge Analytica type intervention. And now like that, it's kind of become its own beast. I could see someone, maybe not him himself, but like someone like Jim Watkins kind of sustaining it. I, um, yeah, I, I could potentially see that because I think an interesting kind of con- like an interesting thing to point out with that potential trajectory is that if is that as maybe the sort of original auteurs behind Q like fade away and it goes into kind of maintenance mode, that's when it starts to get more popular in the kind of more mainstream adjacent or quote unquote alternative kind of right wing media. Cause now we see a lot of bigger figures, including uh, former, you know, Lieutenant general Michael Flynn, like taking the oath on social media and really playing up the like really giving a big wink to all the QAnon supporters out there that sort of he's in on whatever the Q phenomenon is. And he's like one of these patriots that is, uh, is going to, you know, make America, uh, you know, not ruled by satanic pedos again. But, but that's interesting that it's gotten a little bit more mainstream. There's now this thing that I've discovered called, uh, freedom first radio, which is, not really a new phenomenon of these sort of weird, like right wing kind of conspiratorial podcasting and internet news kind of sites that, uh, that have proliferated maybe in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and this one is a big booster. They have like multiple kind of podcasts and radio shows running. And all of them, I think are to varying degrees, either if they're not completely Q pilled, so to speak, um, they are very Q friendly or Q curious. And they all, they all kind of toe a similar ideological line to Q. And like one of the biggest stars about, uh, that's worth mentioning on this network is uh, the co-host of a new podcast called The Two Mics. And one of those mics is none other than Dr. Michael Schuer, who was the uh, retired CIA uh, officer who was the head of the Alex station in the 1990s. So all the stuff we talked about last episode uh, in terms of the CIA 
like failing to share information and failing to stop Bin Laden before 9-11. This guy was basically in charge of the CIA's efforts to do that. And he actually wrote a book that I remember reading in, back in high school because it, it, it caused a minor splash because he released it under the name Anonymous, which is interesting. Mm. Think about that. And that's before, like, Internet Anonymous was a thing. But he just did it because he was a CIA insider and didn't want to expose himself at first. But I think it was called Imperial Hubris. And it was this, like, scathing indictment of how the Bush administration had embarked on the war on terror and had reacted to 9-11 and really kind of formed the foundation of, like, what has been his sort of political ideology that he's promoted, which is a kind of, like, ultra right-wing, uh, kind of Ron Paulish non-interventionism, but also mixed with, like, a... A, a capacity for using extreme military force, like if we decide to go to war. And I believe my the the main takeaway from that book that he ended up kind of recommending to the U.S. government was like you should do you only have two choices in the war on terror. You basically because you're you're going over to this country, you're 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 blowing people up, you're gonna piss off the the Muslims that are over there, and then they're gonna become more radicalized, and then it's just gonna feed itself eternally and. It, you know, every time you invade a country, it's going to make Osama bin Laden more popular. So you either have to completely withdraw from the Middle East, like just like pull out all the military and say, like, fuck you people. We're just going to not deal with you anymore. And then you'll have no reason to attack us. Or alternatively, you have to go in with extreme prejudice and like carpet bomb them back to the Stone Age and like pummel Afghanistan and Iraq to like dust. Yeah. And like and firmly assert like American imperial authority. But you can't you can't muddle the road. You can't like do a half measure. You have to just either stay home or fuck up everybody. And I remember at the time kind of thinking, you know, I was still kind of a neophyte, you know, in the 2000s and kind of thought uh, like it was a little little yikes um, to kind of conflate those two of like withdrawing our forces which seemed like uh you know maybe the morally right thing to do or just like mercilessly murdering millions of people uh yeah. to show that we're not to be messed with but that 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 is basically he's had a blog in the years since called the non-intervention blog and uh and he did post last uh, a month ago a kind of um a kind of cheeky endorsement of QAnon. And it's also worth mentioning, and this is a truly bizarre thing that's come out in a few years, that the woman he is married to now is a woman named Alfreda Bukowski, who worked with him in the bin Laden unit, and I believe was accused of by one of the FBI liaisons to that unit of hiding information about the al-Qaeda hijackers from them. And later claiming to the 9-11 Commission that she had personally delivered it to FBI headquarters, but then they, like, looked at the records and she had never signed into the FBI that day and it actually just, like, deep-sixed it. And Alfreda Bukowski ended up being the inspiration for the character Maya in Zero Dark Thirty, which was played by Jessica Chastain. She's got, like, bright red hair and kind of looks similar to uh, Jessica Chastain, and that was kind of a composite character. But basically that movie just portrayed her as, like, this 
badass girl boss, like CIA officer hero who like, you know, basically tracked down Bin Laden. And we know now that that whole movie was bullshit and like fed to Mark Bull by the CIA. But then in some strange twist, like she ends up marrying Michael Schuer, uh, I think maybe in 2015 or 2016. And I know before that, uh, in the in, under the Obama administration, she had become she had risen in the ranks to become the head of what was called the Global Jihad Unit. <laughs> wow. Uh, cool. So she ended up running all of our counterterrorism, anti Al Qaeda, anti ISIS kind of operations at the CIA. I don't know if she retired or if she's still there. And uh, I remember the podcasters or the there were filmmakers that interviewed like Richard Clark and stuff, and they were the ones that exposed her name for the first time. And they got in a lot of trouble. Like the CIA kind of went after them. So uh, can't go after us though, because the name is already exposed. Um, but but like now, Michael Schuer is like podcasting. And basically, not just kind of endorsing kind of the whole movement of Q, but also saying some pretty scary other things and just things that are characteristic, I think, of people who who imbibe sort of the Q worldview, though I think with him it was pre-existing. Like, uh, for example, I think we, we had chatted about you know, some of these. He pretty much openly called in a recent episode for a CIA or military uh, patriot to assassinate George Soros. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which, you know, I mean, I've said before, I'm no Soros fan, but that's like pretty brazen um, to be just like casually calling on like a mercenary to go like murder him because in his view, he's he's the one, you know, orchestrating all these Antifa BLM riots in other areas. uh, He brings on a guy and they talk about the history of Antifa, but basically conflate like the entire history of communism and Marxism and even like liberal protest politics just into one hegemonic like evil force that has been going on for at least several hundred years. Um, he basically says that, uh, that Hegelian, he said that Hegelianism was all about dethroning God. Oh yes, is, that was uh, great. I listened to like one of the two Mike's podcasts that you had uh, posted and they had some dude on, uh, I want to say his name was Jonathan Federer or Joe Federer or was it Bill? Yeah. Bill Federer. I think it was Bill Federer. Yeah, and he, like, you know, some fool who, like, writes, you know, books about, like, the exceptionalism of America or whatever, how America's the greatest country in the world, and he was just going on about how Hegel invented something called the Hegelian dialectic. It sounds complicated, but it's not. Basically, you got thesis, antithesis, synthesis. So what this is is when you get people who go out in the streets and they riot and they cause a whole thing and they make everyone so scared that people will give up their freedom to just make it go away and that's thesis into the synthesis and uh you know and the the hosts and and like his uh his mic guy are just like uh, uh you know it sounds like there's nothing new under the sun and it's just like yeah uh, the hegelian <laughs> yeah, yeah. dialectic is when you do antifa to make the, the suburbs go to away increase whatever, you know? uh chaos uh yeah it, it's like extremely ahistorical and like just dumb, assumes that yeah incredibly stupid yeah uh and talking yeah and this whole thing he was, he was showing his book about how like the first democracy is like what he calls the hebrew republic which, to be fair, I think is an idea he took from actual, like, Enlightenment philosophers or whatever, but he's basically referring to the period describing the Book of Judges as being, yes. like, you know, a republic. Like, okay, cool. Like, I'll take King Saul. Uh, and I think that, he, but, he even favorably yeah. refer—well, uh, I guess, I don't know if he favorably, specifically refers to this judge, but just to give you, like, the flavor of the Book of Judges, I think it was, like, Yephthah, 
was yeah. one of the judges who um who actually this is kind of this almost feels QAnon-ish a little bit. He basically promised to sacrifice the first member of his family or whatever that would walk outside of his house. The first thing that he saw or whatever. The first yeah, thing, after returning like home, yeah. after to, after waging war against the Canaanites. So he said, in exchange for victory, I will sacrifice like, the first person I see when I come home. And so he did win and came home, and the first person to walk out of the door was his daughter, his beloved daughter. And he was like, no. And I guess the daughter requested to like go up to, I don't know, Mount Carmel or something and like weep over her virginity or something for six months and then she would come down and he would sacrifice her and he did and i guess uh i don't know i read elsewhere that that was sort of um some biblical scholars have interpreted the book of judges to be sort of a subtle critique of human sacrifice that like yeah well the point of that is that yeah people are or the the point of it is often seen to be that people were becoming overzealous and misguided in their practice of religion and that uh is an example of that and that's kind of the sort of a degeneration that sort of eventually culminated in there having to be a king. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the classic problem of when people, you know, give up their freedom uh, <laughs> and they like, yeah. So, uh, but you know, that's all uh, biblical. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Can, he, he also says uh, that, um, that he demands that Trump order Netanyahu to arrest Soros for being a literal Nazi war criminal. Right, yeah. And uh, kind of, of and you know, we all know what he's referring to the fact that, yeah, George Soros, his dad got him a job working for like a wealthy friend of his, and his job was to kind of uh, inventory confiscated Jewish property in Budapest throughout World War II. And, and George Soros was like a teenager when he was yeah. doing this. And of course, like, he was Jewish, so he was pretending, I think, to be the son of this Christian banker, businessman. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like, it's, it's annoying because, again, there's so many things you criticize George Soros about. Um, and even his reaction to it on a 60 Minutes interview in the 90s, I did find, a, like, a little bit, I don't know, problematic where he said, you know. Yeah, well, he said that he didn't feel guilty about it because. And, and that they were the happiest, they're the happiest years of his life, which actually Schuer kind of quotes. But Schuer kind of take and then he quotes a kind of fake picture of George Soros that has been going around for years of, like, a young man in an SS uniform and yes. being like, this is George Soros. Uh, yeah. Um, right, and the, the meme. That's it's very not. much a QAnon thing where it's just like this completely out of context meme. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if he did say it was. May- maybe he did, but I don't like. Well, I, I think that was all in the same the same 60 Minutes yeah. interview that got like deep yeah. six because I think his PR people were like, "Ooh, this is this doesn't play very well." So let's you know, yeah, it, it's just like when Bill Gates says creepy shit. Like they these billionaires, I think sometimes like forget like how out of touch to like humanity some of their things sound like you know like how just sort of detached and dissociated from like normal human empathy they are from their perch of power and influence but to say that like okay he's like literally a prosecutable nazi war criminal that like israel should kidnap immediately and like like okay first of all like i don't know are you just being cheeky michael Schur, or do you actually think that anybody would actually do that like it shows a, I don't know if it's like an out of touchness, you know, with this guy well, who does similar, have. A- it's similar to the QAnon stuff in a way because it's all about like you know they also would like to see like Soros killed or that's another interesting thing about Q is that some people like believe that George Soros or Hillary or whatever they already have been executed or whatever they already oh, yeah. like all this stuff yeah. actually has happened and the people we're seeing now are doubles or clones. This is, like, not a totally marginal idea in the Q-sphere. 
um, which is no. an interesting wrinkle in the like prophecy failing thing because all these people were supposed to be arrested or sent to Gitmo. Doesn't seem to have happened. So I guess one alternative is just like you know trust the plan, like know it's gonna work out like any day now. And the other one is to think like oh you know actually like all those promises have come true. It's just an illusion that they haven't. Um, and I yeah. find it I find it very hard to believe with a lot of th- I mean and that there were softer versions of that like actually Hillary's wearing an ankle bracelet like she's yeah, under course, house arrest right. there was a yeah. house arrest thing I think maybe in 2018 at like HW's funeral where like they got some note and like W I guess looked disturbed or something and that's supposed to be like the note where like you know it's like you are finished like we have it all like signed Q <laughs> or whatever you know yeah so I don't, like uh, there's a lot of stuff like that like yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and I just don't see, like, in what world would that st- even strategically make sense to secretly arrest all of these people, but then, like... Yeah, like, why are they permitted to have clones? Like, why, <laughs> you know, if the whole thing is, like, that they, uh, you know, this great red pilling or this great awakening is going to happen... Again, it's like a channel for like personal needs or personal grievances, like, you know, the idea that people are going to come and like apologize to you. And like, you know, when they when this great awakening happens, you know, this great day that is yet to come, you know, it's it's again, it's a reprisal of many uh, like typical sort of narratives or ideas of it's a perversion of a really standard uh, concept of this awaited day, um, you know, of reckoning. Uh, yeah. And it, and, yes. And I, who, I don't yeah. know to what extent um, the more kind of mainstream of the Q believers uh, subscribe to those kind of theories. Um, well, not to but, the clone stuff, but they all, the, the unifying aspect of it, I think for everyone is that, there is going to be this day when, like, all the libs have to watch Hillary, like, uh, facing the firing squad or being hanged or what, you know, and they have to all come and apologize or they're all going to know, like, that's the one refrain, like, I hope you can handle it when, you know, like, uh, so that I think is a unifying thing that, like, eventually, like, it's all going to come, like, you know, it's all going to come down, it's all going to come out. Um, and everyone's going to have to deal with it, and then they'll be sorry that they ever mocked me, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I yeah, think that's yeah, like a it is. I mean, and, and that uh, was actually, there was a word for that, or a term for that on 4chan earlier, and I can't remember if maybe FBI and on was the one who kind of adopted it and popularized it, but it was the day of the rope. Yeah, well, that's also another thing where, like, journalists are going to be, uh, you know, a day of the brick day of the rope i think that was a lot of time used for like what would happen to all the journalists because everyone uh you know in that sphere really hates journalists because fake news and everything blah blah blah. so Mm -hmm. uh you know yeah i think that that's like uh and there's all many modifications of this uh, or permutations of it especially in the chan sphere of like the happening for instance, I almost thought that was when you were saying this is a term for this. I was gonna say, oh, the happening. Oh yeah, the happening. Yeah, yeah, that was another thing. Like that was more of a like people would post uh, memes of Ron Paul with like it's happening. You know, like every day would be like it's happening. You know, this is the cult. Like a big thing prior to that was like this is going to be the financial collapse. You know, like this is going to be like you know the big version of 2008 when everything just collapses. You know, that was the big thing that was awaited uh, for a really long time was the happening. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, now it's the Great Awakening is like what it's often described as. Um, yeah, yeah. Of, you know. And I mean, 
as you said earlier, maybe they kind of feel that the great awa- like the real great awakening is sort of the the knowledge that you accrue along the way. Well, yeah, rather this than is- this big moment, which is often a thing Q people will say about the like you said about the value of Q is that you know it, it opens your eyes to all of these different topics that people didn't know about that the media won't report about. And while that on the face of it that seems somewhat true, I would say as somebody who on their without the help of a cue um, pointing things out, you know, had to drudge through the swamps of like 2010s internet and conspiracy websites to sort of sift through kind of things that were maybe bullshit and things that were real and you know, went through that like kind of harrowing process. I think it's a little it's a little too pat and a little too cute to just say that, you know, oh, this mysterious account is going to just shine a spotlight selectively on these various things and then I'm going to I'm, you know, I'm going to be enlightened, but it, it, it's ironic. Like they think that in a way, like following Q sharpens your critical skills and your research skills. That's what they think maybe like the breadcrumbs thing is useful for is that, you know, no Q is all about self-empowerment. Q is about letting you go out and do the research. And first of all, if you're trying to disseminate specific, you know, information or trying to expose crimes that are going on, I don't know if that is like the best strategy to kind of vaguely drop a bunch of things that could easily be misinterpreted and then kind of, uh, you know, shoot out like a smattering of references and stories uh, and then highly politicize them before anybody has the time to like really critically digest them. I don't know if that's actually like empowering to the masses. You know what Uh, I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I think that this definitely does have, but you know, the, the use of the term, the great awakening is very apt because of course that harkens back to the other periods in American history that have been known as the great awakening. I do think that it is true that, you know, not maybe the, the idea that the sky is going to open up one day or Trump's going to make a broadcast and declare that he's rounded up Obama and Hillary, etc. And like Soros and all these conspirators and like they have everything, you know, and they're all going to the gallows. Like maybe not that. But I do think that we are actually experiencing something like a great awakening, a like very like spir- a spiritual moment, like a spiritual revival on cue is a symptom of that. And I wanted, yeah. I wanted to read this thing that I always think about when I talk about Trump. And Trump is interesting because almost similar to what you said about Soros, there's something extremely seductive about Trump. Like, And I think that one of the most seductive things about him, you know, is the sense of grievance, the sense of vengeance against people who uh, others feel wronged by, you know, the, very, the tribalistic aspect of him. And, you know, one of the most seductive things about him is that he owns the libs. You know, like everyone does mm-hmm. hate the mainstream media. Everyone yeah. does feel that these people are venal, uh, you know, that they're insincere, that they, you know, all sorts of things. Like, everyone has some kind of grievance against these establishment figures, like these sort of thought shapers uh, and the, the mainstream knowledge class, you know? Yeah. So I think that that is one of the main things that gets people on board with with Trump in general. And mm-hmm. I, you know, wanted to read this quote. This is from uh, Rene Guénon, who's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not like someone who I like fully endorse in every respect, but who I think is definitely one of the most interesting, like traditionalists of the kind of early 20th century, uh, you know, uh, as part of that sort of larger movement. We'll probably talk about him later in like an episode that's more about that time. But uh, it's this is something that he said specifically about, uh, you know, something that was going on at his time, which is kind of a rise in sort of neo-spiritualism. Um, mm-hmm. And what he says is, the reign of the counter-tradition 
is in fact precisely what is known as the reign of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, independently of all possible preconceptions, is in fact that which will concentrate and synthesize in itself for this final task all the powers of the counter-initiation, whether it be conceived as an individual or as a collectivity. It could even, in a certain sense, be both at the same time, for there must be a collectivity that will be, as it were, the exteriorization or the, of the counter-initiatic organization itself when it finally appears in the light of day. And there must be a person who will be at the head of the collectivity, and as such will be the most complete expression and even the very incarnation of what it will represent, if only in the capacity of, quote-unquote, support to all the malefic influences that he will first concentrate in himself and then project onto the world. He will obviously be an imposter. This is the meaning of the word Dajjal, by which he is usually designated in Arabic. Mm. And since his reign will be nothing other than the great parody in its completest form, the satanic imitation and caricature of everything that is truly traditional and spiritual, nevertheless he will be made in such a way, so to speak, that it will be entirely impossible for him not to play that part. His time will be certainly no longer the reign of quantity, which was itself only the end point of the anti-tradition. It will, on the contrary, be marked, under the pretext of a false spiritual restoration, by a sort of reintroduction of quality in all things, but a quality inverted with respect to its normal and legitimate significance. After the egalitarianism of our times, there will be a visibly established hierarchy, but an inverted hierarchy, indeed a real counter-hierarchy, the summit of which will be occupied by the being who will in reality be situated near than any other being to the very bottom of the pit of hell. This being, even if he appears in the form of a particular single human being, will really be less an individual than a symbol, and he will be, as it were, the synthesis of all the symbolism that has been inverted for the purposes of the counter-initiation, and he will manifest it all the more completely in himself because he will have neither predecessor nor successor. In order to express the false carried to its extreme, he will have to be, so to speak, falsified from every point of view, and to be like an incarnation of falsity itself. In order that this may be possible, and by reason of his extreme opposition to the true in all its aspects, the Antichrist can adopt the very symbols of the Messiah, using them, of course, in an inverted sense. And the predominance accorded to the malefic aspect, or more accurately, its substitution for the benefic aspect by the subversion of the double meaning of symbols, is what constitutes his characteristic mark. In the same way, there can be and must be a strange resemblance between the designations of the Messiah, al-Masih, and of the Antichrist, al-Masih, the latter are really only deformations of the former, just as the Antichrist is represented as deformed in all the more or less symbolical descriptions that have been given of him. And this, again, is very significant. These descriptions are indeed particularly emphasize uh, the bodily asymmetries, and this implies essentially that they are visible signs of the actual nature of the being to whom they are attributed, for such things are in fact always signs of some interior disequilibrium. This is why certain deformities constitute disqualifications from the initiatic point of view, but at the same time it can easily be imagined that they are qualifications in the opposite sense, that is, from the point of view of counter-initiation. The very name of the letter implies that it moves in opposition to initiation, consequently in direction of an increase in the disequilibrium of beings, leading finally to the dissolution and disintegration previously referred to. The Antichrist must evidently be as near as it is possible to be to disintegration, so that one could say that his individuality, while it is developed in a monstrous fashion, is nevertheless at the same time almost annihilated, thus realizing the inverse of the effacement of the ego before the self, or in other words, realizing confusion and chaos is against fusion and principal unity. And this state, as represented by the very deformity and disproportion of his bodily shape, is actually at the lower limit of the possibilities of our individual state. 
so that the summit of the counter-hierarchy is indeed the place that really befits him in the world upside down that will be his. Furthermore, even from a symbological point of view, inasmuch as he represents the counter-tradition, the Antichrist is no less necessarily deformed. It has been explained that the counter-tradition can no only be a caricature of the tradition, and caricature implies deformation. Moreover, if it were otherwise, there would be no outward means of distinguishing the counter-tradition from the true tradition, but the former must bear in itself the mark of the devil, so that at least the elect may not be seduced. Besides this, the false is necessarily also the artificial, and in this respect the counter-tradition cannot fail, despite its other characteristics to retain the mechanical character appertaining to all productions of the modern world, of which it will itself be the last. Still more exactly, there will be something in it comparable to the automatism of the psychic corpses spoken of earlier, and like them it will be constituted of residues animated artificially and momentarily, and this again explains why it can be contain nothing durable, a heap of residues, galvanized, so to speak, by an infernal will. Surely nothing can give a clearer idea of what it is to have reached the very edge of dissolution. So, wow. yeah, that's a lot. But I always think of that when I think about like these times and think about figures such as Trump and Q. And you can see like kind of mm -hmm. the problematic aspects of this where there's a focus on sort of the physicality and physiognomy, which are, of course, very big Grotesque. themes in es esoteric traditions. But at the same time, you know, uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, and I think that the whole idea of like a counter hierarchy and a counter initiation and the sort of mock spirituality and mock tradition is very apropos to what we're talking about. And uh, very much, uh, you know, I even saw when I was going on 8chan, I saw something that was like Trump's first day in office, you know, and his birthday. Like they're at like, you know, exactly, you know, he turned like 77. Or, or yeah, he was yeah, like he was 77, uh, seven months and seven days old. Seven, mm -hmm. seven, you know, like say these things. And I think that, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's very, you know, it's uh, it's very, uh, you know, pertinent to uh, these types of, of movements, uh, I, you know, for me anyway. This is something that, you know, always resonates with me and the idea of like the hyper individualism, but also yeah. to the point where it's almost like the dissolution of the self. I think that's interesting. And like, again, you know, there's an inbuilt defense against this where like you can't you don't want to be overblown about like this Trump and Q stuff because these are all symptoms of like a you know deeper uh structural issues like in our society like mm -hmm. you know the, it's a not like contained within one being but i think that is reflected in in this this understanding as well but anyway yeah yeah no that's a that's a very interesting passage to ascribe to to both trump and q and kind of the simultaneously messianic and kind of antichrist aspects of their character and their message yeah because, well um, yeah one obviously has to reflect the other and q definitely has aspects of being mediumistic you know in the sort of 19th century spiritualist sense you know like you're saying like he's a guide to these people he's the medium through which they access this sort of invisible world and through which they initiate and they get deeper and deeper you know in this in this universe but a lot of the time people experience it as being lost like their personality is being destroyed um in a dark way we look at tomorrow and see unlimited frontiers just waiting to be explored. Our brightest discoveries are not yet known. Our most thrilling stories are not yet told. Our grandest journeys are not yet made. The American age, the American epic, the American adventure has only just begun. Our spirit is still young, the sun is still rising, God's grace 
is still shining. And my fellow Americans, the best is yet to come. you know, family members and stuff will describe it in this way, like what's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. When people get to the point where they end up kind of yeah, like marriages dissolve, relationships fail, uh, families are split apart over this belief that is uh, that is fostered by basically being on the Internet. Being yeah. glued to like this screen, this uh, as yes. we've discussed before, this like this fucking MK Ultra screen that was developed by the military in Silicon Valley. I mean, it's ironic that it's like a high level military guy uh, talking on this platform. That there is a lot of evidence that it was infiltrated almost from the very beginning, 4chan and all the Chan boards by like military intelligence, private well, I'm intelligence that kind of it types. Was. I'm certain that it was because, you know, originally there was the whole idea of, like, anonymous, like, hackers on steroids, or the idea that there was going to be, like, some kind of dangerous threat coming out of, of 4chan, so I'm, I'm Oh, yeah, and I mean, was. honestly, the the anonymous, like, phenomenon period has has had these spooky kind of connections and, and uh, aspects to it from the very beginning. I mean, they first jumped on the scene. What was their first thing? Was it uh, protesting Scientology? Well, yeah, but that is, like, the real first thing, or, like, the first, like, organized, the first major organized, like, anonymous activity is the Habbo Hotel Raid, which is, like, a children's game where a bunch of people joined as avatars, uh, like, you know, uh, avatars of black people with afros and assembled their avatars in the shape of a swastika and stuff and would do disruptive oh, yeah. stuff online. You Wait, know, was that, then, I thought that was on Second Life. Uh, no, it wasn't Second Life. Oh, okay, uh, okay. I mean, there might have been raids on Second Life, but it was it was definitely have a hotel. And, okay, okay. Uh, I do remember that being a thing though in like the mid two thousands. Yeah, it was forming early, into yeah, a swastika. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, because that was kind of like provocative type of of humor. But the idea of like opera like Operation Chenology that was a big thing that happened in two thousand eight. I was actually at. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I was at like the first like real life anonymous <gasps> protest. I remember that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at the you know Scientology like building in New York. You know. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it was very, like, honestly, ironically, like, even though it was 4chan, it ironically was, was very much Reddit uh, in the adjectival sense, like, the sort of personnel who were there. But, uh, you know, uh, the demographic that was there. Like, it was very much you, sir. Like, we, you know, the type of, like, people who, like, quote memes in real life or whatever. Like, yeah, uh, and but, maybe like, yeah. kind of edgy atheist, like, edgy kind of yeah, Reddit yeah, atheist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very much like, yeah, 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 for sure. And, uh, I mean, I was there at the time. Everyone there was, was relatively young. But that was, like, when, oh, we're going to use our, like, you know, lulzy ability to, like, do these crazy raids, like, you know, to do something good for the world. Like, in real mm-hmm. life, we're going to bring down... Scientology, and that's like where the whole idea of like anonymous is these heroic hackers, hacktivists. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where like the where term. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if it explicitly came out of that, but the idea of hacktivism, which as we saw, then jumped into to the point where most of the Twitter accounts that I I saw were recently revived this summer that were basically like your and on news and your and on central. They started. Under Obama, they became kind of the digital vanguard of a lot yeah. of kind of U.S. covert operations activity that was going on. I remember they very famously, I think they were kind of toying around with the so-called Green Revolution in Iran in 2009. And then I, I think uh, moving on to Algeria 
and then Egypt, of course, they were very heavily involved at like hacking the defense ministry and all these things. And that was also a time when there was this kind of big, very positive coverage in the mainstream media from places like, you know, CNN and the New York Times about this kind of Facebook revolution, the Twitter revolution. And at the time, like it was very uncritical coverage and really presented as, oh, my God, like I think we we've mentioned this before, like, wow, like maybe everything sucks, but maybe the technology that's being created by Silicon Valley and, you know, being pumped out to everybody, maybe this will create a better, more democratic world where people under oppressive regimes can, you know, petition their leaders and uh, and gather, you know, faster than the security forces can stop them. And, you know, isn't this wonderful? And the list of people that kind of jumped on board and like cheerled that was like pretty extensive. But then, you know, of course, they moved on to Libya. They started attacking Muammar Gaddafi's government and enabled this like NATO invasion backed by U.S. warplanes and like uh, sort of Al Qaeda mercenaries to basically take over the country and then murder Muammar Gaddafi and turn the country into an absolute hellhole. And then they moved on to Syria. So they were very active in hacking the Assad government's, uh, you know, networks and things like that and doing DDoS attacks and kind of got this like cred as like, whoa, like, watch out, expect us. Like, whoa, these guys are hardcore. I feel like I should note, though, that there wasn't, like, really an actual organization. Like, the whole idea of an organization called Anonymous started out as a joke. Like, that was supposed to be a joke that was based on the idea that people misunderstood the fact that everyone was anonymous on 4chan. Like, that was, like, a whole, like, and certainly at the time of Project Chanology, there wasn't really any, like, actual organization at all. And there was a lot of, like, people, like, a lot of people hated it, like, and thought it was lame and got bored of it, like, relatively quickly. And, like, you know, started out being for the lulls, but then it it ended up being kind of, like, hard to, like, go against, like, there wasn't really even very much hacking involved. So this whole new phenomenon of, like, people representing themselves is, like, oh, I'm anonymous and, like, we're in this bunker, you know, like, you know, we're going to bring down XYZ, like, that. Yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do with how things were like at that time. Well, I, I would say position. you're you're yeah. right about like in the late 2000s, but I will say like once you got around like say like 2010, because we forget that a couple of the uh, one of the the biggest whistleblowing leak sto- hacking leak story of that era was WikiLeaks. And Julian Assange, you know, publishing the collateral murder video and then um and of course, how could we forget uh uh, Chelsea, nay Bradley Manning, and their hack disclosures, which I think um, that involved a whole group of anonymous related hackers that if you had to pin like an actual group of people that were kind of connected to each other and were doing kind of these high-flying hack operations, there was a small core of people. I think one of them's name was Sabu. Um, and I'm I'm forgetting the name of the guy who actually spoke with, che- with Chelsea Manning when she was in the military and kind of coaxed her to giving over all of these documents, these State Department cables in 2010. And, um, and basically, uh, that's what Manning did. And then... Those things got released by WikiLeaks. So that was that was a seminal moment because up until that point, WikiLeaks had like released some things about, you know, obviously they showed like this war crime happening in Iraq um, and they seemed to be mostly going after the U.S., 
as their kind of target. Um, but they also, you know, they had this very kind of utopian idea of radical transparency and that if, you know, secrecy was the enemy. It wasn't like power itself or powerful interests or economic you know, interests or even kind of nation states, but it was like the urge to be secret was kind of what the problem was with every government in the world. And, um, and that was a whole drama that like, I'm so kind of questionable of nowadays, especially with the way Julian Assange, the things he ended up doing later on in 2016 and even his trial today, which like in a segment of kind of the alternative left gets like breathless cover. Like every time he like farts in a courtroom, there's like a million think pieces about how like you need to like donate money. And like, this is the most important thing ever. And like, if Julian Assange gets convicted, oh my God, like everything's going to be over and they're going to come after you next. And yeah. well, sure. Sure, maybe like that they, they're setting some bad precedents by prosecuting him. He is such a sus figure that oh, sure, like yeah. and, and he's but he has been not WikiLeaks has been absolutely not transparent about what their involvement was like with like the Podesta emails and all kinds of other things where they like played a role. They did. I do believe they played a material role. Whether Russia was connected to that is, I think, kind of a toss up. But I think if Russia did any meddling, it probably would have been involved in kind of getting WikiLeaks the Podesta emails to like I don't know get back at Hillary or something but it's very hard to tell like you know like it's very subliminal jihad like what side are they really on they claim to be above politics yet they meddle they're, in politics they're constantly not. they're not yeah. they're not they're, they're not and there's people that have had like kind of weird like crypto fash kind of connections to WikiLeaks um was like Israel Shamir who's based in Germany is like a I want to say he's like a Jewish guy who converted to Islam and is kind of a Nazi <laughs> like it's, it's very bizarre and that's an interesting and then, name to keep if you're going to convert to islam i feel like that's and then be a nazi of, on top of that yeah yeah i uh, might be i might be jumbling some of those factoids but i know dave emory has talked a lot about the susness of like wikileaks and that guy in particular and well from like, dave emory saying someone is a nazi is it's pretty not par for really the course. Me- yeah not really meaningful uh, <laughs> yeah no no for but, sure for sure but you know um, julian assange it should be mentioned grew up in a very weird oh, kind of yeah. MK-ish oh, sure. kind he's, of like white supremacist cult in he's Australia. That's why yeah. he has the white hair because his cult leader stepfather had the white hair and had all these children right. that yeah. like all had identical haircuts to be just like him. And, yeah. and 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 also anybody that was a fucking hacker in the 80s, like hacking into like the Pentagon and telecom networks and stuff who actually did get caught when he was like 14, like he could have been an asset from the time he was a 14 year old. And maybe he's like a, an asset on a loose leash that kind of does these like wild things that and you know maybe he's not protected you know talk, like that's that's what non-official cover is in the cia uh or in other intelligence agencies like you're a deniable asset you can get thrown into jail for doing what you do they are not going to claim you as an agent um and that you know that can get into very you know very tricky world very fast but going back to the anonymous people like sabu and um I, I want to say like it was like uh, like Adrian Limo maybe was the name of the other guy. By the way, all, this whole group they got turned by the FBI in the early 2010s, and I think Sabu was the one that ended up snitching on all of his other anons that were actually in this kind of group. Um, and then a lot of them ended up going to jail, and 
I think a strange number of them like drop dead of heart attacks like in their 30s like over the in, in like the last five years like they're all dead now which is kind of funny but uh, I definitely also just to point out that the release if you want to kind of look at it from a different perspective uh, the State Department cables that Chelsea Manning stole and gave to WikiLeaks gave to Anon which gave to WikiLeaks which posted that you know, that was a story in America and people were kind of like, oh, that's bad. But it wasn't necessarily a lot of stuff that you'd be super shocked that the State Department and the CIA were doing, like leaning on foreign governments to like help them with stuff or they withhold aid, you know, things like that. It mostly showed a pattern of kind of either abusive uh, power relationship where the U.S. government was like ordering around other governments, or it showed the complicity of certain, particularly Mideastern governments, their complicity with sort of the U.S. empire. And so that ended up being the biggest kind of geopolitical impact of Chelsea Manning's leaks was that mm. it actually did, I think, spark the first protests in Algeria because people uh. were pissed off that the government was doing all these secret, shady, corrupt things with the Americans. And then that kind of took off, fueled by Facebook and Twitter and all of these things. And then eventually it blew up into this conflagration that ended up knocking out one of our most persistent kind of uh, geopolitical frenemies in the region, Muammar Gaddafi, and almost ended up knocking out Bashar al-Assad, who was another geopolitical uh, problem that people in the Obama administration kind of wanted to dispense with, and certainly the Saudis and uh, Israel and the kind of, like, the Israel-GCC, like, kind of alliance, like, and Turkey as well, were very adamant um, with, along with, like, certain EU countries and the U.S. in kind of toppling so they could, I think, part of it had to do with, you know, building a, uh, a new uh, natural gas pipeline from Qatar through, uh, I think, Jordan, through Syria uh, into Europe, which would also cut off some of the new pipeline projects that Russia was planning in terms of supplying natural gas. And I think Ukraine was associated with that as well. Another kind of psyopy color revolution that happened, um, which blew up after I think the uh, the natural gas deal um, was decided by Ukraine uh, in favor of like the Russian offer as opposed to the EU offer, and then poof, like this Nazi-aligned uh, democratic revolution happens. So like that's all a long way of saying that uh, you know just the idea of like Anons being on the right side of politics and marshalling like masses of people on the internet to disrupt the world, to disrupt the real offline world. Uh, has a pretty fraught and suspicious past, even before we get to QAnon. Yeah, definitely. And so, I don't know, maybe do we want to, since we're already talking about, like, what laid the groundwork, do we want to move up to maybe, like, the, the immediate predecessors to QAnon, which would have yeah, been... Yeah, why don't... Yeah, we can talk about some of that stuff. Okay, okay. Um, so, in... 
2016, there was a character that popped up on 4chan who called themselves FBI Anon, and this individual had a lot of kind of um, substantive similarities to what would become, like, a little over a year later, QAnon, in that basically uh, the FBI Anon claimed to be an FBI agent that was working on... Uh, the investigation involving the Clinton Foundation and Hillary's mysterious email server that was destroyed or wiped uh, back, you know, uh, after after the whole Benghazi thing. And they came on to 4chan to basically say that, you know, it is so much worse than you guys think. Like, we've discovered political corruption at the highest levels, you know, bribes. Like, I think they did mention child trafficking, you know, sponsoring wars in the middle, like, illegally, you know, funding terrorists and, like, the wars in the Middle East and all these kind of things. And um, and they came and posted, like, a number of times uh, in kind of early to mid-2016. Uh, and then they kind of disappeared. But then they did come back in February 2017 after Trump was elected and did like an AMA where people asked them, you know, various, uh, various questions about, uh, you know, Hillary, like I'm seeing here, uh, just to give it, and, and, you know, he made kind of a lot of predictions, uh, like for example, in July, 2016 on one of his, his first AMA, uh, somebody asked, will Hillary be indicted? And he, uh, they said, there's intense pressure for us not to do so. I am posting from a position of near anonymity and enough plausible deniability to evade prosecution as we've all been given gag orders. There is enough for her and the entire government to be brought down. People do not realize how enormous this whole situation actually is. Whether she will be or not depends on how much info about others involved gets out. And there are a lot of people involved. So that I, I think what one thing you can tell right off the bat is that whoever this character is, they're much less kind of um, over the top in their style than QAnon. Yeah, to me, um, reading those posts is 100 percent a LARPer. This is a LARPer to me. I think it's a LARPer. Like, uh, for instance, what poll is liked by the FBI? Elaborate, uh, please. Someone asks, you know, someone says that, like, you know, he gives him indication that poll was liked by the FBI. And he yes. says, poll is an amalgamation of minds from various geographic and demographic factions. We study very intentionally the ideas which emanate and gain prominence on the board, as well as which ideas other organizations try to promote, which ultimately get defeated. Uh, JIDF, which is, of course, Jewish Internet Defense Force, for example, is highly mm -hmm. unsuccessful at making poll pro israel you know because every once in a while there would be threads like poll why are you not pro-israel and there would be threads like why haven't you converted to islam yet like we believe in like you know oppressing women or what you know stuff like that <laughs> like that, like you know so uh and most of us just enjoy the post in general we like to see how close to the truth everyone is and we occasionally let our true nature slip that to me is like this is a LARPer. I, I mean, I think I think it's a, it's definitely a LARPer in the sense that I do not believe this was an actual FBI agent who was like yeah. on the Hillary case, like giving right. you an inside scoop. Um, right. I could see it much more possibly if we want to get speculative that maybe I mean, we know that the company Cambridge Analytica was doing so much so many shenanigans throughout 2016 um, and basically manipulating, disseminating fake news, um, various kind of targeted advertising on Facebook, particularly um, of people they saw as, uh, you know, Trump voters and had almost this they developed this kind of sophisticated algorithm that could, you know, almost give you a tailor made 
sort of prop almost like tailor-made propaganda down to the individual level based on algorithms of what you would search for they could build a profile of a person that could almost certainly predict what kind of political messages would resonate with them and which ones would kind of turn them off or not move them and they employed this and this has been totally subsumed in kind of the mainstream american media by all this like loose talk that like russia meddled and russia did this like russia psyop but i i know from everything i've read about cambridge analytica they invested way more money and effort and resources into doing their kind of psyop campaign than the things that have been found that russia did um like pretending to be like, uh, yeah. you know, like I, Black Lives Matter Trump supporters or whatever, you know, kind of like not very sophisticated uh, psyops that like Russian backed, you know, firms were caught doing. This was much more sophisticated. And I'd have to wonder, like, if not Cambridge Analytica, then a similar kind of private intelligence data analytics sort of psyop company could launch this as kind of like a trial balloon or like a beta test of entering onto a popular online forum and pretending to be a whistleblower and seeing people's like people's ability to believe it. I mean, or, you but know, to, to testing it. I think I would make a slight modification to what you're saying and that I think that the phenomenon of Q, like the when it really took off, that was where I would almost see someone like that intervening uh, to take it to the next level. But most of what I'm like in FBI and on, like most of what like I see from him is like very much typical of stuff that could almost be like maybe some group could observe this and like you know see how popular these ideas were but these type of things you know it's hard to draw a line because this proliferated so much on those types of forms like this is very similar to like an ama like i'm a vampire ama ama i'm a i'm a, I'm a time traveler although of course it's more down to earth but like you know for instance take this thing like uh, FBI non says Obama and HRC do hate each other. HRC hates black people. Uh, and then someone replies to him, WTF, man, keep that shit quiet. You'll gain her votes here by saying that. Um, <laughs> and uh, FBI non replies, uh, blacks are violent and generally impulsive, but they are not all bad. And they can be, for lack of a better term, domesticated. Thomas Sowell has made note of this. This to me is a, is like a poll. Uh, yeah. What, yeah. What they that sounds a like a poll tart, you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you know, uh, just like playing, you know, but I could definitely see someone observing this and uh, later on observing Q and then because I, I do remember like I, I remember actually being on poll like around that time because I was interested in like the meme magic stuff. I was interested in, in poll during the election, like, you know, not because I was partial to like Trump, but, mm -hmm. you know, just by like, uh, yeah, I had a habit of going on there procrastinating and stuff. So like I remember seeing people talk about Q's trip changing and things like that. And I know I like, you know, I, I distinctly remember early on that Q's trip changed multiple times. And in fact, I believe the reason why QAnon is QAnon is because originally, like, you know, people who have trips aren't usually known as Anons, like FBI Anon was he was an Anon. He didn't have a trip. Did he like, not have a trip? I, yeah, I don't think so, because that's like why he would be FBI Anon. Otherwise, he well, would. Well, I think you could name yourself and have a trip code. It's you like can, an option. Like Q has usually the, the letter Q parlance. on her name. Yeah, but I think the reason why he is now, he's called Q Anon, is because originally he, you know, was actually Anon and didn't have a trip. And only later did he get one, I think. You know, I think the very first posts that were like signed Q were actually a non-post. Oh, okay, I um, see. It wasn't in the header yeah. yet. Yeah, and, and exactly. yeah, it eventually got established. Or okay. you can even name yourself without giving yourself a trip. 
Uh, so that's also yes. possible. Yeah, um, that's true. That's um, true. Anyway, so I think that it is possible that there is like the instrumentalization of it, like on a larger scale, bringing it someplace that's not like self-contained. Like I think that that is something I would locate that my personal belief. Again, it's all very murky. Like we can like you know disagree on this stuff. Like there's room mm-hmm. for interpretation. But like my where I would place that stuff is like in the transition off of the chans, like you know into the larger like social media sphere is where I would see the like this type of stuff i think that once people saw how excited the new sort of 4chan audience like during the election could be like you know how excited they become yeah. that these type of threads that were very prosaic and almost not really taken fully seriously by the people engaging with it like you know people joking or like you know that you can see people like in the fbi non joking around with him you know but once they saw like how the new audience that was being gained by people like Hillary saying like beware for channel you know like uh, uh-huh. how yeah. excited they would get by this stuff then they'd be like oh wait like we can turn this we can really turn this into something when a criminal is already as rich as they can get then protecting their ill-gotten gains becomes the priority angry citizens tired of being poor are a major obstacle and can revolt if they suffer enough the criminals needed to prevent this so they diverted attention to the last remaining competitor, the people of the world. You and me. We were not happy being ruled by criminals and having to work three jobs just to survive. They know we won't accept it. So they use their control of the media to set black against white, woman against man, young against old, Muslim against Christian. They convinced us we were the problem so that we would fight and destroy ourselves. To get it done faster, they attacked all aspects of humanity that make us strong. Like family, using their influence over culture, they popularized lifestyle choices that led to a surge in broken homes, lost youth, and substance abuse. I could talk all day about how else they deliberately weakened us, and it would turn your stomach. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention the other formative event that came on the heels of FBI and on, which is really kind of, I would say, the mo- the biggest bridge to to the Q phenomenon that was on 4chan, which of course was Pizzagate. Right, yes. And again, we, we go back to who who kind of triggered Pizzagate. It was WikiLeaks that triggered it pretty much right. single-handedly. Not that people hadn't been talking for a long time. Like, as I've said before, like I was investigating a lot of uh, elite, you know, sex rings, pedophile rings, stuff like that, that had been going on in the 80s and yes. was like aware of Jeffrey Epstein, which I think is... You were is... definitely into it well before Pizzagate. Uh, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and Pizzagate was something that it's like, that was... It was it was close enough to all those things I had already been researching that I sort of dove in and rode the wave of Pizzagate for a while, like a little bit to my chagrin in retrospect, because there was so much coming out and it had such a high stakes impact because it started coming out basically in the last month leading up to the election. And it it introduced this whole nother level of like not just that Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation were kind of involved in political corruption or financial corruption, but that in these emails, perhaps, there were allusions to the kind of trafficking networks that that it seemed like people like Epstein were involved in and that, you know, I, I was aware that, you know, the Bushes had, you know, like the Larry King, uh, Craig Spence 
pedophile ring in Omaha and D.C. in the 1980s, and the Clintons and Bushes are so tight together that it almost, it was too tantalizing to not kind of um, to dive into and see like what was going on here. And the way that that Wikipedia was uh, disseminating these emails was almost tailor made for maximum confusion and frenzy and kind of impact like they must have known at a certain point if they didn't know right away they must have been aware right away that after the per- the you first mean the way wikileaks was tailoring sorry yeah, yeah yeah i forget what i said oh, um like, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah the way wikileaks was doing it cuz they said at one point that they they tweeted out like stochastic terminator algorithm has been activated and i think they they explain that a little bit, but what they basically were implying was that every day there was going to be a new batch of Podesta emails, and they had some kind of algorithm that was going through this like huge archive, and it was picking out emails that had keywords that were based upon like things that people were searching about with like the Podesta emails hashtag. So in a way it was like designed to be kind of this feedback loop of research. And it Um, definitely did because I, I don't know if they encourage people to seize upon the idea of pizza. Like, I mean, no, 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 not before, not before. So it was somebody on the chance that noticed it first. Well, yeah, definitely. Look, the idea, that association, the idea of the pizza code, there is no real firm basis for the idea of the pizza code, even though, like, I definitely, like, you know, will. I would, like, I would somewhat disagree in the at least in far as cheese pizza is concerned. Cheese pizza, CP, that that's been a thing on the internet. Um, it's not hard to imagine pedophiles using those maybe, kind. Maybe of, that's a very, but, but but I think things like the handkerchief colors and things like that. That's much more. I don't know if I've ever seen that before these people kind of came out but like well, you said it yourself actually earlier. the idea of flagging like certain fetishes with handkerchiefs like is a thing but i think that like a lot of like the, the whole thing like the the whole like a notion where like oh we've determined that definitely you know hot dog means little boy or whatever like that stuff like the whole correspondence thing like there that code or that like that legend to inter- of interpreting yes, the people yes. like that is not really Based on no, no, like you're the right. Whole, yeah, like the whole thing of like the map, like it was a weird email, but uh, my interpretation th- of that was like that it was some kind of pocket square that had a map on it, which like I have seen things like that before. But and, the like, pizza related map. That yeah. was the weirdest, you know, like you know, the the most like you know perplexing email. But yeah, it had I a think, map on it that was pizza you know, related. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> which, to, like. Yeah, yeah. I know there was. I think we could. I like. I certainly can still acknowledge, and I think PizzaGate like. It ended up being kind of a psyop that directed it people was away. A fully a psyop. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Like, well, I won't like deny the like you know the fact that like there's issues of like VIP like sex trafficking rings. There's issues of like child exploitation at like the you know elite level. People who are like untouchable who like you know uh, victimize children in various ways. Like, sure, but the whole. The aspect of it involving like the code of pizza, I remain unconvinced by. Like that, it, you know, it's, that you, it, like, you really can't kind of say either way. I think, uh, besides saying that some of them are legitimately odd and appear to be maybe a kind of slang or code word for something. Like, like you know, maybe. like like, do you think it's easier to play dominoes on like pizza or po- or like you know yeah. something else? I, like, yeah, like, I've kind seen of, all these huh. emails so much going through this, but like the way that I 
it's like on like you know on alcohol versus on weed you know that's the way that he was using it saying like oh if i'm on this like will i play like you know better i think that that is an unusual like idiosyncratic way of speaking but at the same time like it's a big leap to say like i'm gonna be playing like you know dominoes means like uh satanic killing and like lasagna means child yeah <laughs> Whatever, you know like that's and, all like a big leap and, um, and you know i think uh, there was something so liminal about a lot of those emails and a lot of it was you know it was also it's hard to extricate from all of these very rich powerful connected people smugly like chatting with one another and just how kind of infuriating it is just on the face of it yeah and, like, you know there are people that everyone hates like no one likes tony podesta like no one i mean as we saw in 2016 like well i guess there are some people but like a lot of people very much just like hillary clinton for very legitimate reasons and i think people came to those emails and were like really looking to find something like you know truly deeply damning and they were gonna find it like you know the stochastic terminator algorithm like Uh whatever it whatever it like you know pitched out to them they were gonna find something in uh yeah and 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 i think i would question to what extent the sort of the the thinking behind the actual wikileaks team you know the way in which they were disseminating that information like was it really just a algorithm encouraging it eventually like maybe i'm maybe it was some like ancillary account that was like calling itself wikileaks but i do feel like you know, there was a, a very close association between Pizzagate and what I think they oh, you know what? I, I, I remember now that I think what they did is they they made they tweeted something about spirit cooking, which was actually that was the opening salvo of that Pizzagate. That was a big deal. Yeah. That was Marina the first thing before people found the, the Comet Ping Pong and the Pizza Code, people discovered this email where Marina Abramovich was inviting Tony Podesta, John Podesta's brother, to a spirit cooking party at her her apartment right, in New yes. York and I think asked like is your brother going to be able to attend my spirit cooking party and then people looked up because uh, Marina Abramovich is kind of a sus witch and Absolutely. like all of her art is like disgusting and weird and the point, and, yeah the point of her art is to evoke that stuff you know like it's certainly she's very like, angarian in that regard of like yeah. she oh, definitely wants to like yeah. oh like what if like i put a model on a platter and like covered her in blood and then we like pretended to eat her like and wouldn't like, that to be uh so you know the role of the artist uh to yeah. you know like just the that art world bullshit um yeah and uh, uh, she sucks and like actually a lot of like artists hate her because like you know of her politics like outside of like any kind of like occultic alignment like her you know politics around like the control of her work and like the presentation of it in museums are like very bad but uh and like her ad like her attitude and her smugness about how you know revolutionary her just but anyway like uh of course as we talked about in other episodes like there is like a very deep historical connection between like this world of like performance art and avant-garde theater and the actual occult like yeah. Kenneth Anger being a good example of being oh exactly and I think it's safe yeah. to say in with all the dust is settled now that it is like it's curious and it's interesting and I think it's fair to say that like she is one of these people that probably does have a genuine interest in the occult 
yeah, uh, very long term sure. interest. Like a lot of her performance art has involved this, and I think just as we look at Kenneth Anger, to simply dismiss it, it's like kind of a fun, interesting aesthetic choice that she's making that has like no kind of ideological underpinning behind it and no intentionality. You know, and, and then when you add that to she's inviting all these super rich, powerful power brokers to her apartment to do a spirit cooking dinner, and of course, we have no idea if if she's actually going to do the sort of purported spirit cooking recipe that was in the original installation of this piece where she talks about like mixing like tears and blood and cum together and like drinking it. Um, It's still like, what the fuck are these people? Like, aren't the Podesta supposed to be Catholic? Like, what you know what i mean well, like yeah i mean it's a thing because like yeah i mean art and religion like are deeply intertwined like they like they're things that uh, act on a on a symbolic level or you know a uh higher level of experience and i mean they're deeply historically intertwined like they operate together. And i think that like when people you know and i think that that is kind of where pizzagate gets into interesting territory because the it brings people who like definitely aren't like literate like you know people who have like circulated in like the like avant-garde art scenes or whatever like for that stuff's like not as shocking because like people are desensitized but if you're like a boomer Mm -hmm. like from you know kansas or whatever and like you like work like i don't know like at an ice cream shop or something like Mm -hmm. seeing that type of thing is stunning and, and horrifying and and bizarre uh, because it's deliberately, you know, using these religious symbols in a very like provocative or this sort of religious or magical language in a very provocative way. And yeah, and the and like it does become, especially for a lot of like artists who don't cleave to like traditional religious beliefs. And I think like it exposes a deep rift, I think, for a lot of people because like, yeah, a lot of elites who like consume this type of art and for whom it is kind of a uh you know status symbol almost to be involved Mm -hmm. with like you know they obviously don't have the same spiritual sensibilities as someone who is going to be like repulsed or at least like you know myself like roll their eyes at this type of stuff or find it yeah yeah there's something that that they're at least kind of cool with or they're or they maybe they want to be involved like yeah it shows they don't take it like they're not upset to like be like invoking satan or whatever you know totally which is uh, which is like worthwhile to point out because you know it's not like these people walk around saying they're you know they're they're into mysticism or you call it the john podesta is really obsessed with ufos which is kind of bizarre um yeah well you can like for individual people you can make like but like yeah by and large like you know a lot of people you know who consume this type of art like are yeah again like people who love kenneth anger you know they might be interested in it they might like see its value but they don't necessarily believe in its power uh i don't really know what, what marina abramovich's position is on it I well mean, i I, I, more, I was going to more. point out her a little bit about her background which is interesting is that her great uncle was varnava the serbian patriarch or the serbian orthodox church hmm. and um and she was hmm. raised by her grandparents until she was six years old so i guess like the the either i think 
particularly her grandmother, who is deeply religious. And uh, Abramovich said she spent her childhood in a church following her grandmother's rituals, candles in the morning, the priest coming for different occasions. And uh, she describes her parents, who were Yugoslav partisans during World War II, as, quote, red bourgeoisie, who were given positions in the post-war Yugoslav government. Uh, so she has this interesting kind of duality of, like, her parents being kind of, like, good communists and um, kind of well-off, like, you know, uh, Yugoslav government officials, and then her kind of grandparents' generation being, like, extremely high up in the Serbian Orthodox Church. So, you know, I mean, she comes from this kind of um, very, uh, you know, religious background. So I, I wonder where, like, the flip kind of happened or if there was something weirder going on with, like, her grandparents' sort of whole generation and her great uncle i mean it'd be interesting to take a dive into that but like you know on the surface like the that is like the persuasion of the like u.s like coastal like art world like they're not interested Uh in like religious contemplation it may be something like exotic or like you know a lark but you know they're interested in like provocation and intrigued yeah. by the occult and you like you know and and so. that that is that is like very well summed up in I think the like the art uh, taste and the art collection of Tony Podesta who I feel yeah. like is somebody who got like kind of a short shrift on Pizzagate in the sense that like people stopped focusing on him more when he is such a just on a political level is such a suspicious you know he's like one of the most he was one of the most powerful lobbyists in Washington and his brother was in and out of the Clinton and Obama administrations as chief of staff and had all these you know connections and was like close with Marina Abramovich and was this famous art collector he had like a soundproof basement where he could like show like video art installations he had that strange arch of hysteria kind of bronze statue that had a kind of creepy similarity to a position that Jeffrey Dahmer put one of his victims in like a headless <laughs> body like bent backwards and all of these uh, from another former Yugoslav artist that was like a lot of children and that just have this creepy kind of honestly like kind of MK Ultra Monarch Project kind of vibe to it of like children in like war zones who like look like scared like they're about to be like abused by somebody it's just weird like that and then of course like one of the one of the hard hits that i stumbled on when i was like riding this pizzagate way was that uh tony podesta was like really really long time good friends with dennis hastert the former speaker of the house who is right now in jail for being a pedophile right And what, like, they were best friends in college. They went on an overseas, like, semester abroad, I think, to Okinawa um, or Japan. And they were, like, they they became really good buddies there. And then, like, they stayed in touch throughout. They both ended up working in Washington. And this, like, dumb, kind of, like, not very intellectually impressive high school wrestling coach became the Speaker of the House in the late 90s. Interesting that he was Speaker on 9-11 and afterwards. Would have been a reliable guy if you were blackmailing him, I think. And uh, and Tony Podesta, you know, maintained this, like, friendship with him. And I think there were a few veiled emails in the Podesta emails of, like, geez, just heard about Denny, like, driving across <laughs> town now. So strange. I don't know. So maybe they had no idea that, you know, Denny Hastert was this like rampant, you know, pedo uh, wrestling coach all these years. And he had been getting blackmailed for a long time by one of his victims. And, you know, apparently they were just they didn't know about that. But I thought that was another interesting kind of interlock that they had this long, long, very personal, close relationship with one another. But again, like Pizzagate just spun off in this kind of other direction, you know, focusing on the pizza parlor and then 
kind of got kind of demolished and discredited by that young guy who ran to Comet Ping Pong and like shot into the wall and then got arrested and said he was trying to like free the pedos from the basement. And then that became even to this day, like that is sort of in the public record as like sort of the proof that you should never question whether there are pedophile rings like operating at the highest levels of government because some crazy dumbass from North Carolina will drive to a pizza place with an AR-15 and take a shot in a wall, which like not saying that's like entirely something to brush off, but uh, I don't know, given the magnitude of, and the cases yeah. like Epstein that we know about, like it seems a little bit disingenuous for the for corporate sure. media to like, oh, that's why we can never talk about any of this stuff again. It's all ridiculous. You're all wearing tinfoil hats and shut up. We're going to ban you on social media if you talk about this. There was like definitely there were definitely a few people like even leaving aside comic ping pong. Like, what do you think? Like there was like uh, uh, children locked up in the basement or uh, whatever. Like uh, there were definitely people who like, you know, that uh, I remember reading about that, like Muslim uh, Trump supporter who like had a. Uh, you know, like a triangle on his pizza parlor. Oh, like, best you know, of pizza. Yeah, because yeah. like, of course, a triangle was like a slice of pizza. It, uh, it was but, an inverted. It was a. It was a triangle within a triangle. Yeah, but okay, like you know, that's the thing about no, like. I know, I know, shit, I know. Like, you can't go very uh, far with that. But I'm just saying that they, it 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 had an uncanny resemblance. In the absence resemblance. of any other, in the absence of any other indication, like you it, know, it, perha- it was two doors down from Comet Ping Pong, and uh, and it did have this sort of uncanny resemblance to the leaked FBI document, and of course maybe grain of salt. But that that document had been floating around kind of for a few years on the internet as like, oh yeah, these are the symbols that pedophiles use online. Um, they didn't necessarily mean that like entire businesses were going to be fronts using these symbols but that like on message boards and stuff or the dark web they'd be using it and it it, you know perhaps it was just a very unfortunate coincidence that this i think that triangle within a triangle was on the pizza it's a very elemental symbol you know like uh, a triangle like even a triangle within a triangle triangles are basically the most elemental shape you know so i like sure i mean i I wouldn't ascribe that to any regular triangle uh but uh, the, the one, eh, yeah, within it, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I guess, you know, you might be right about that. Then, of course, there was the, I'll, I'll just say, if, if there's one case of triangles that did not get very good attention that I I think I discovered it either first or early, which was another character that didn't get talked about a lot during Pizzagate, which was the Canadian billionaire Frank Giustra. Um, who was like a mining billionaire who had a lot of de- who's very good friends with Bill Clinton and had a lot of interactions in various mining deals in Kazakhstan and what what they co-founded together which was I think the uh, oh yeah, yeah it's the the Clinton Geostra Enterprise Partnership and it's technically still around I don't know how accurate it is it was founded in 2007 and this guy you know if you remember that kind of like uranium one scandal that never really right. panned out where we were like selling all our uranium to like Russia. I can't speak to like what how much of bullshit that whole thing was, but there were some like shady pay for play kind of things going on with like I think it was Nazarbayev, the president of Kazakhstan, uh, doing deals with Geostra and with Clinton kind of like being the mediator, like hashing out the deal and them all being buddies. But uh, I looked into like the charity work of Frank Giustra and one charity that he had, which, you know, could be innocent, but he ran a charity in Vancouver where he's based out of for like at risk and homeless youths and teenagers and kind of like, you know, safe halfway houses and things like that. So like that's 
you know, maybe he just wants to help at risk kids who are vulnerable and susceptible to human trafficking. Maybe that's, you know, not a bad thing. But then I found that he was running, he had founded an NGO that was based out of some islands in Greece, and it was designed to basically be a home for refugees from North Africa and the Syrian civil war. And they were building refugee camps. And the name of this foundation was Elpida, which, you know, not great. But the symbol that I found uh, that is plastered on all the buildings for this foundation is literally just like a triangle within a triangle, like almost exactly what the FBI document said it would look like like not there's nothing else it's just the triangle with the triangle it's called Elpida and it is basically a NGO set up by this billionaire as a refugee camp for particularly for women and children fleeing the western backed chaos in the Middle East and North Africa in, you know, 2014, 2015. And uh, I don't know if it's still, yeah, the website's still there. I think they eventually got rid of the logo, but that was just kind of like a, I mean, if you're, if you're going to kind of go out on a limb, why don't we look at this guy who's like so high up and tied into the power structure that is, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, there were other things about Haiti and, like, the Laura Silsby kind of thing where this woman was caught trafficking, like, 30 children um, across the Dominican border from Haiti after the earthquake. And then in some of the Podesta, uh, it was like the Podesta or the State Department hacked emails where Hillary Clinton's State Department was, like, very on this and helped kind of get this one off and get her back to the U.S. without getting charged. So again, maybe they're just doing a favor for like a random person, but that was like a real case where cops caught this woman, this white lady, bringing all these children across, trying to get them across to, you know, same island, to Dominican Republic, and claimed that they were all orphans, but in fact they were not all orphans, and a lot of them had families that were like looking for them. And maybe she like lied to them and said she was taking them to like a school or something, but was trying to like take them out of the country. Country. So that's another thing. You know, it, it's like there were some things like that that were kind of there was smoke hovering over this whole Pizzagate thing. But uh, yeah. then it got the funneled thing. way too much into like, is there a basement underneath Comet Ping Pong? And the thing um, is like, yeah, like if it's like, you know, it's not like a the the, the issue is that it isn't necessarily like, you know, uh, no big deal to made these conclusions wrongly that's the thing like you know if it's based just on certain like iconography or like terms like for, you know for instance the the elpita like example like yeah like you know it's definitely an unfortunate coincidence uh that like you know it's called elpita which sounds like pizza or you know is or pedo like, like yeah. pe pe pedophilia like oh i see uh yeah or, yeah and then like you know music but like those two things like are in a way like very circumstantial like as i mentioned like and yes. so then if you say like let's look into this guy and like a bunch of people are like you're a pedo like you know and like a, you know then that's like you know that guy's life has been like pretty like ruined or like you know uh really messed up like over like you know for no real good reason uh like if mm -hmm. you find something then it's like you know very vindicating but if there's nothing to it, then, like, that's pretty messed up, like, what you did, you know? So, like, yeah, I, you yeah. know, I feel bad for, like, I do feel bad for the best of pizza guy because I do assume that he is, in fact, innocent. Uh, you know, looking at his logo, like, I could see how you would design this as a pizza logo. Uh, and it does seem to be, like, you know, to me, a definitely a coincidence. But 
you know, an unfortunate coincidence and like, you know, so mm-hmm. I think that that type of thing is. And like, we don't know, like, okay. yeah, we don't yeah, know like, like how much involvement he had. He could have hired a freelance graphic designer exactly, who put that in there you know, for whatever yeah. reason. Um, I think that even Alephantis, who's like very uh, litigious, so maybe we'll, we'll, we'll bracket everything with allegedly here. Um, even he had, con- and again, maybe I think, you know, having people barge into his pizza shop with guns, like not the way you want to kind of go you don't want to encourage that type of thing because it's stupid and i mean honestly like nobody asked any questions about his his i'd say admittedly bizarre sense of humor on his instagram account like having a picture of a baby with a bunch of rolls like thousands of euros like in rolled up wads with prescription pill bottles and being like going to europe for the weekend party time is like uh." and then like the hashtag kill room like the little girl with her hands like taped to the floor like all the just creepy be kind of satanic like the little coffins that he was taking pictures of or the the guy holding the baby with like the yellow necklace and saying hashtag chicken lover that's kind of like whoa man like that that's a pretty that, that that's a clear term that has been kind of used like there was that nambla documentary called chicken hawk from the 90s which i think has alan ginsburg in it and you know that's like a kind of term that has meaning and it's hard to kind of parse like what he meant if it wasn't a reference to like pedo shit um what the does chi- chicken lover mean i actually it means that you like well like a chicken hawk is a related term of like a, a a pedophile who's attracted to like you know prepubescent boys like a chicken mm-hmm. chicken being the the term for a child so like mm-hmm. chicken lover holding a baby is just kind of like i don't know like are you just making kind of you know like all these comedians in 2010 that were making pedo jokes every five minutes uh or is is there some and also i think the biggest thing about him is that he was the longtime boyfriend of david brock which was the guy who i think ran media matters for a while and then ran the uh correct the record kind of counter right-wing propaganda like psyop kind of online brigades during 2016 and was very close to the Clintons, even though he used to be a Republican and like attacked the Clintons for years before just like flipping sides and becoming like one of their lackeys. And he's a very dark, you know, kind of call rove of like the wealthy libs kind of character around Washington. And uh, the fact that the, and these guys were also involved in like, I think they, there was a, there, there was a case in the DC courts, I think from a, f- a few years before Pizzagate where, like one of their ex-lovers was trying to like extort money out of them, like blackmail them. And then they took it to the court and kind of had it like dismissed where a guy I think was trying to get like a few hundred thousand dollars out of them. And it's kind of like, well, you know, maybe that's just how it goes with, you know, powerful people and, you know, hangers on and somebody's going to sue you. But it, it makes you kind of wonder, like, what were those two guys getting blackmailed? You know what? What were the what was the subject of like that whole extortion scheme? Um, but again, it's like you can only go so far uh, with that before you start, you know, really like prying into this person's life without sufficient evidence. And uh, yeah, and like again, like everyone hates like r- like rich, like out of touch, like politically pernicious, like you know Hillary Democrats, like you know David yeah. Brock. I remember he was, like, super, like, anti-Bernie Sanders and, like, spread, like, malicious lies about Bernie Sanders. Oh, like, for sure. in, like, you know, so, like, everyone, like, despises, or, like, 
No, I guess not everyone, because there are some people who, like, love those people, I guess. But, like, there's definitely a huge contingent of Americans that despises those people. And, yeah. like, for very legitimate reasons. And, uh, yeah. like, you know, yeah. it's just red meat, like, to think, like, oh, you know, they have a pizza parlor where they have, like, you know, a bunch of children, like, locked up. But that for is, sure. like, a jump, you know, from the it, other it like, is, reasons it is. why we despise so, them, you know, so, like, you know. And yeah. it ended up it um, ended up also distracting and the last thing we'll say about like Pizzagate is it distracted from all of the much more thoroughly researched kind of pedophile scandals that had either already been going on or had come out even in the few years leading up to Pizzagate that didn't get any real attention until maybe much later. And, you know, some, some still should be, like, spotlighted more, you know, prominently. But, you know, like I, I said before, like the Franklin, Larry King, Craig Spence kind of network, uh, Jimmy Savile, which was coming out, like— like in from maybe what 2010 to like 2014 and actually i think the editor of the new york times at the time of pizzagate who was like very you know i think they they kind of popularized this fake news term to refer to pizzagate but he was actually working for the bbc a few years prior and i think had covered up a lot of the jimmy savile kind of story or basically like put the kibosh on it and now so you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of space there for you know you even had some of the same people that were covering up these things but yeah uh, but then like the 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 true scandal in belgium where there are allegations of royals uh like you know abusing and even murdering like young people that were kidnapped um like i said like the related dolphin square westminster inquiry which was headed i think by home secretary Theresa may which miraculously sort of found nothing that i think was launched in the in the wake of jimmy savile's death because there are people like mp cyril smith former president Prime Minister Ted Heath that were sort of outed as pedophiles after their death. And, you know, DynCorp uh, child trafficking in the former Yugoslavia during, like, the NATO in- interventions there in the 90s. Um, and then, of course, like, Aquino. And, and, and Epstein was the one that was most relevant, though, I think, to, to Trump and Clinton. And that uh, didn't really pop up at all during the whole Pizzagate imbroglio. It was, like, that, I think, was the real turning point where, like, that, like, anything to do with that got sort of pigeonholed into this world of, like, I remember, like, uh, yeah, I mean, Cernovich was, like, very, like, a big booster of that. I was just going to say, like, the, these right-wing, you know, all these MAGA guys, like Cernovich yeah. and Posobiec, I don't know why they're all, like, South Slavic, but... Uh, yeah, well, but, uh, like, yeah, I like bright. Like, I remember you like during your Pizzagate like phase, like uh, retweeting something that was like, "If Bannon knew, then like Andy knew," and like you know, Andrew Breitbart. <laughs> like, I mean, Andrew Breitbart like personally screamed in your face like during Occupy to like stop raping people or whatever. He did. You know? He did. Like, I've been looking so, for that tape, but I can't find it. But I swear um, to God, I was filming it and uh, I was there, and he was screaming, "Stop raping people!" <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, but like uh, you know, the whole idea of like, and yeah, like, and now with QAnon, which is very much a successor to Pizzagate, like, the, a big element of that is, like, the messianic fervor around Donald Trump, like, that he is going to, like, you know, drag these people in, like, in chains, and, like, he is this great hero, when, of course, like, 
you know, yeah, like he's as complicit in like the Epstein stuff, I would say, as mm-hmm. Hillary is. Like, you know, just the fact that like Trump has stuff like Jeffrey's like a great guy, you know, and he loves the ladies. Like he likes them on the younger side, just like I do, or whatever, you know. Like, no doubt like about that. it. That's Jeffrey like enjoys game. his social life. Yeah, Jeff, weird shit like that. And yeah, then like, like the Katie Johnson lawsuit that was also like just, did not link up with Pizzagate around the same time, even though they're, the they both that, came out similarly and maybe in the same month. Just the fact that Trump has a quote where he's like, Jeffrey Epstein's like sexual proclivities are such and such, like just like mine, you know, like it's just like, <laughs> oh, that's a lot. Like, you know, but yeah, it is. Yeah, like it so, is. but now, and, like, you know, there's a double, like, there's a pincer move where, like, on one hand, like, the people who are deeply, like, invested in, like, that kind of thing are, like, Trump worshipers, like, you know, deep, deep, well, yeah, like, and religious could... reverence, and the people who, are against Trump, like, they can't engage with it because it's very much, like, you know, it's a polar, it's become, like, a polarized, like, corrupted thing, you know? Well, that, that's what I, I really hated to see when I kind of, when it, it's, like, once people like that started flooding in and it's kind of started to realize, like, oh, this is being completely taken over by MAGA people. And, yeah. like, the, at a certain point, it's, like, uh, you just kind of have to kind of cut bait from this whole thing and, like, and, and think that, you know, it, it's regardless of, of what it started out as now it is being, like, colonized and reappropriated by. And, you know, it came out later that Cernovich was working for Alan Dershowitz, like, yeah, in 2017 and uh, trying yeah. to, like, uh, like manipulate the, the, the release of discovery from one of the Ghislaine Maxwell trials that, that would, like, supposedly, you know, uh, discredit uh, Virginia Roberts Jeffrey for uh you know which i don't think it did ultimately but it was just like bro like you're you're mr pizzagate but now also you're like kind of you're like this rapey bro you know with your gorilla mindset and everything but on top of everything you're like working for alan dershowitz like the most credibly accused person in the entire epstein scandal besides epstein and maxwell and yeah in fact i I bet gorillas like are like pitas now that i think about it like i'm sure that like dominant male silverback gorillas like go for you know, if you follow whatever. that logic yeah i oh, mean I, like I, if, I if you want to have like the the if you want to model your you know approach to sexuality on gorillas yeah, then you're, you're probably yeah. going to do some problematic shit yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but again i don't really know what the gorilla mindset is even supposed to be uh like it's it's yeah, it, it seemed, uh, I think, like, the, like what is it? You know, like, the, well, the original red pill, right? I mean, yeah, it's we weird could probably to, like, talk about the, the etymology of red pill and how it's, like, bounced between, like, the pickup artist community and, like, QAnon and, like, poll Nazis and, like, it... It, it kind yeah. of I mean there's there's synchronicities between be all of these movements yeah there's an interesting parallel with like kind of stuff we talked like the evolutionary stuff and like the the whole like, like the importance of apes like in a lot of these sort of uh, esoteric or, or theories or you know because of course the whole impact of evolution like it maybe in our Urantia book episode some of that comes in it's interesting yeah it's very interesting to pick a gorilla as something that you want to resemble mentally. Uh, you know, not to, not to demean, like, the intelligence of gorillas. Like, not being speciesist, like, but... Yeah, like, you know, obviously they're very intelligent animals, but, like, yeah, uh, like, I feel like they're more, like, strong than they are, like, a role model intellectually. I don't know, but anyway. Have you ever wondered why we go to war or why you never seem to be able to get out of debt? Why there is poverty, division, and crime. What if I told you there was a reason for it all? 
What if I told you it was done on purpose? What if I told you that those who were corrupting the world, poisoning our food, and igniting conflict were themselves about to be permanently eradicated from the Earth? You might think that an idealistic fantasy. Well, let me tell you a story. I think we're getting to about the end here in our discussion of Q. Um, what I thought we might do is read the other post from yesterday, that or Q drop, as they would call it, um, that is kind of a more classic example in, in, in contrast to the kind of phoning it in post that Q has been making. Uh, this is at least a kind of substantive one, and maybe we'll do... We'll just end with like a close reading and dissection of uh, where, right. w- like, the role Q is playing right now in you know the fever in the last two months coming up to this election, and uh, maybe try to analyze it uh, in the light of I'm things a- we've been discussing. I'm excited because I haven't I haven't heard it so. Uh, okay. Take yeah. It away. What <clears throat> All right. There's a lot of, um, you know, brackets and underscores. I'll try to, I guess I should mention them because it's kind of his syntax, but uh, I'll try to read through them. Yeah, they uh, might be important too, you know. You're right, you're right. There's all kinds of little subliminal codes that the Q believers think uh, these brackets sort of speak to. So, okay. This is uh, drop <clears throat> number 4738 from September 20th, 2020, dropped around midnight, 1218 Eastern Time. Uh, this morning and okay so it starts with uh, let's see a Twitter status from somebody named Dr. Simone Gold it says Nevada is now the seventh state to quietly reverse their decision to block hydroxychloroquine prescriptions for COVID-19 physicians in Nevada can now once again prescribe HCQ as they deem necessary governors lied and restricted medicine that could have saved lives they should be held accountable and it's like a post from the Nevada State Board Pharmacy so as Q often does he'll reference something in like the mainstream you know media and then And then do this. So he says, how do you, quote, extend lockdowns, bracket, economic hardships, unemployment, fear, death count, dementia, Joe, etc., in order to paint narrative mail-in voting, bracket, when did narrative start? March, underscore, early, underscore, planned, needed to, quote, save lives, brackets, plus ballot harvesting, in order to generate a future narrative election day plus one, which casts doubt as to legitimacy of POTUS win, bracket, constitutional crisis, another bracket, quote, not all mail-in ballots counted, quote, how many mail-in ballots lost or did not arrive in key battleground states, which could have returned a different result, quote, we must investigate who cast a vote, but it did not register, quote, we must go door to door if needed, uh, internal bracket ballot harvest quote our lives are at stake quote the sky is falling in order to legally challenge delay results enact riots and chaos in an attempt to overturn bracket coup d'etat all caps crimes against humanity what role will select military inserts play brackets the bribe bracket playbook known what did we learn from past <laughs> attempts spying bracket surveillance plus campaign inserts plus wh white house inserts Mueller, impeachment. Why did it take an outsider to finally deliver the start of peace in the Middle East? Why did it take an outsider to finally deliver the start of finally holding China accountable? All caps, the disease called corruption, running all craps, red, Q. 
So, uh, uh, for one, I'm uh, just disgusted at the notion that, like, this is peace in the Middle East, like the freaking UAE making, like, a dis- meaningless deal with Israel. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, yeah, thanks. Anyway, I don't feel like this is, I still don't feel like this is the original Q because, well, at least his whole angle has changed because I thought that they, the Patriots were in control. Now he seems, like, on his back heels a little bit, you know? Like, he seems <sighs> worried bit. that... De- the cabal might try to do this coup d'etat, but I thought that the whole, like, you know, the white hats were in control of everything, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Why, what, what's the fear of the coup? Like, <clears throat> well, you know? I, I feel like there's, there is this kind of triangulation that goes on with Q where they want to kind of inflate the power uh, or uh, they want to inflate the amount of work that Donald Trump is doing to root out these elite sickos. But at the same time, they also want to kind of inflate the threat of the remaining deep state, which for a variety of reasons, Trump has been unable to fully vanquish yet. Um, It's the classic thing of the enemy being like extremely weak and extremely strong, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if you were to accept that, uh, that, you know, if the deep state was beaten, then you'd have to explain why all these Democrats are running around and why, you know, Sleepy Joe is uh, ahead in the polls and all these things that they ascribe to the Democratic deep state, like the BLM riots and Antifa and civil unrest. You'd have to ask yourself, like, well, if Trump has already won, then why are all these things happening? Yeah. So then you, you have to kick it to the kind of flip side of like, well, he hasn't won yet, but you can't say that he hasn't done anything because then that kind of undermines the whole narrative that Q and Trump are aligned and that Trump is making progress. It begin, it leads you to kind of ask the question, like I think you mentioned that some Q people are now kind of questioning, I don't know if they're questioning Trump, but kind of questioning Q and yeah. like, you don't want people to wonder like, well, why isn't Trump locking up all these elite pedos why isn't he doing it It, are they blackmailing him which honestly is like not that outlandish if you think about the the circles that he ran in and that's the um, big thing that's the big thing with q from the beginning like you know why like now it's it's a i feel like it's much easier if your faction or the the heroic faction and the theory isn't in power because you know if you're sort of these heroic patriots who are like resisting this overwhelming force but also like trump is the president you know it's kind of like yeah it's it's hard to reconcile why hillary isn't hanging from a rope yet you know like why (laughs) like why aren't we able to i saw an amazing youtube video when i was preparing for this where some dude was saying that Hillary had already been arrested and uh, hung, hung, hung by her. You know, they love to use like the the fancy terminology of like, you know, hung by her neck until she is dead or whatever, uh-huh. you know, like yeah, to sound yeah. like official. Uh, and they said that Bill Clinton was killed by firing squad, but he was too cowardly uh, to actually face the firing squad. So he shot in the back. Um, <laughs> and s- soon there's going to be like a pay-per-view event where like you'll have to pay a dollar to get to see, you know, all the tribunals and to get to see, like, you know, all the executions and stuff. Um, so Q is promoting but, pay-per-view snuff films? Yeah, like, and also, like, how dare you, like, you know, this these executions of, like, these major 
public figures like you're gonna charge like why not just <laughs> like 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 uh, just make it free but anyway uh, yeah. yeah uh another interesting thing about this one is that mueller uh i don't know if q ever actually directly supported this idea but it was a big q idea early on that mueller was actually a white hat Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot uh, about that was maybe one of the most spectacularly kind of haywire predictions of Q. Yeah. Was that Mueller was a good guy. Right. Yeah. And they were actually working together. But this guy, I don't know if I I don't know if Q ever actually directly promoted that. It was a big thing. So I doubt that he actually like, you know, went against it. But now he obviously is is saying that Mueller was bad. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tough one. I mean, a bold prediction to kind of make. I mean, I think in in a sense, like almost the opposite is true, is that like Mueller is evil and he wasn't going to. It's like Mueller. If I had to speculate, I think Mueller was there to do a kind of um, a narrow focused investigation into certain activities that could kind of reflect negatively on or could connect heavily to Russia. But any other aspect of Trump's corruption, which involved other countries, including the UAE, where he and confirmed convicted pedophile and Trump associate George Nader and Eric Prince, who went on Breitbart Radio during Pizzagate and claimed that Anthony Weiner's laptop had child porn on it a week before the election, had all met down, had all met before the election, I believe. Um, I think they might have met in like the Seychelles Islands with a representative of the UAE uh, royal family. To kind of work out something which was never looked into by Mueller. So I think that if you ask about like what was, uh, you know, maybe maybe it was the Saudis that had like a pre-existing cozy relationship with the Clintons and the Bushes. But there were other Gulf kingdoms like the UAE that meddle in American politics that were literally sitting down. But it's like, I don't know if I maybe Rachel Maddow did, you know, a big long rant about that one day, but it definitely wasn't emphasized as something that really like the public or the media or Mueller or anybody should look up on. It's like, oh, yeah, that like, you know, uh, and this guy, George Nader is like, you know, he got caught, I think, uh, uh, yeah, like with child porn. It got uh, thrown out on a technicality, like maybe back in the 90s. And then he got reindicted on child porn, like in the last few years. I think he might be in prison now. But again, like, oh, Trump, the pedo hunter. Why is he hanging out with this guy who has like a very well-established history? probably has connections in like the arms dealing intelligence world he sounds like that type of person but it just uh but you know a bad boy mueller just uh didn't quite you know didn't pick up on that scent i guess so very risky for QAnon to kind of try to project like this kind of patriotic i mean mueller was a republican so it's funny that liberals like stand him so hard and i think we mentioned like the last episode that there's an interesting kind of um like parallelism going on with like establishment liberals believing in mueller and whipping themselves up into their own conspiracy frenzy, which admittedly is not as extreme. It's not as far out. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like as ripe to like foment, you know, lone wolf terrorism or civil war. But it's still like the the way that Russiagate became an obsession of Democrats in the last few years had more in common than I think they would like to admit with Q. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, all that stuff like Mueller, she wrote, like it's very much the same <laughs> Like, the whole idea, like, that—I mean, it's actually kind of a a 
like the same thing in reverse. It's very symmetrical because Trump is often like, you know, he's supposed to be, he's going to jail, you know, he's going to yep. be arrested for treason. Lock you know, him like up. Not, Lock him up. Yeah, exactly. It's uh-huh. the same, you know, yeah. Uh, same like, energy uh, as the kids would say. Yeah, there's uh, it's, well, you know, because those people like generally pride themselves on being reasonable, and mm-hmm. uh, but we believe in science, so like mm-hmm. they don't necessarily believe in uh, like clones or, you know, stuff like that, or uh, that Trump is doing rituals um or whatever but they do they do believe in something that is untrue and is an incredibly heinous lie to push which is that the cia and the fbi and people that are like former military contractors that go on msnbc and spoon feed these shady narratives and people like john brennan are like brave patriotic heroes yeah and forces for progressive good in the world is incredibly pernicious. And you've seen that effect in real time with the Democratic Party. I mean, they've always been weak and complicit to a degree uh, with, you know, the CIA and covert operations and, and the fuckery of that nature. But to see them kind of publicly standing these former spooks and FBI guys and taking their word for it when it's like these are people that are trained to lie to you. And obvious and create false narratives that manipulate you. And, uh, you know, it's like it's all too easy. I mean, they've been kind of grooming the media really since like the 50s. Um, and, you know, the media has never been like an independent, objective organ of power and influence, like apart from capital and empire and things of that nature but you have seen like it's just steadily gotten worse over the years and the decades where like you know you might have carl bernstein write a critical article about you know cia's infiltration of the media and rolling stone in the 70s but now like carl bernstein's just gonna write about how like uh, a brave cia source told him that you know everybody in the trump administration is going to gitmo next week and yeah. like, oh, yeah, oh, very serious. Um, and in the meantime, anybody that questions the CIA, also you see the very productive fiction that – and you've seen it weaponized against, like, Bernie people, against anybody that's, like, a, a, a or, or further to the left of Bernie. Um, I remember when the fake news memes – kind of became sort of public and broadcast on every news outlet in the wake of Pizzagate in early 2017. I forget who did it. It was maybe Facebook hired this very sketchy kind of government PR psyop firm that was run by a woman named Andrea Chalupa, who was like a rabid, like right wing Ukrainian fascist who is aligned with like the Democrat has been like a political operative in Washington and how she had assembled this, her company had assembled this list, uh, you know, contracted by Facebook to filter out like Russian disinfo websites and it was like every kind of alternative left kind of thing like black agenda report and like uh, consortium news and things that were like relatively kind of benign and like definitely not like Russian disinformatia programs were just lumped into this like anything that that naysays Russiagate it's like with you know anybody it's like the Q people anybody that questions the heroism and the importance of like what Trump is doing is like a deep 
deep state shill or they're brainwashed. Yeah, like and you're so, defending the pedos, you know. Yeah, like you're defending the pedos. Yeah, like if you're, yeah. Uh, and, and so yeah, to, exactly. to, to naysay any, or, you know, question any aspect of Russiagate meant you were probably, you were either a MAGA chud or yeah. you were a Russian, like a, a useful idiot is actually a very interesting yeah. term that was created by Lenin to impress everybody. <laughs> you know, um, like shit yeah, like that. Definitely. You have like Masha Gessen, like the most CIA fucking family in the literary world and Keith Gessen, um, who are like, yo, let me tell you about the, the, uh, the, the psychology of Stalin, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And just like make, like using all these ahistorical analogies to like how these evil Russians, like, yeah. you know, all the they ever do was... is just brainwash and psy out people and... The whole thing of, like, the special knowledge that you see with QAnon was, is very similar to, like, the way they use the word, like, compromat and, like, stuff uh-huh. like that, you know, like, uh, all yeah, the, like, special yeah. words, like, disinformatsnyaya, like, you know, stuff like, like, like really yeah, surprising, yeah, like, like, kind of Russophobia or, yeah. wave came back where it was, like, oh, that, sure. that yeah. the embedded programming of that old operating system of anti-communism was still latent in people's brains, and you could just bring it back, and, like, you know, you had people like Joanne Reed saying that, like, you know, something about Malala coming from like Soviet Yugoslavia and it's like uh yeah like that's why you get paid the big bucks because you don't know that like (laughs) you know to go with uh current events you know we're recording this on uh you know as we kind of mentioned I guess September 20th and and RGB has just died and you know Mm -hmm. on the religious end uh the sort of the way QAnon the fervor around it is sort of parallels certain religious impulses um, mm-hmm. You know, and its structure, like you know, the the reverence towards RBG. Um, yeah, her, yeah. She has a kind mm-hmm. of secular sainthood for sure. Uh, so the amount of see, pictures I saw. Yeah, the amount of yeah. pictures I saw on Instagram. Not criticizing anybody who posted this, but like they were all kind of the most like I don't know spooky or spiritually imbued portraits you could yeah. find of our, especially with that kind of spooky velvet or like like lace glove she was wearing. Kind of like in that robe portrait. I mean, it was kind of like this well, this I've high priestess seen, of liberalism. I've definitely seen like very like deliberately religious iconography, like you know, sort of in the style of like uh, saint portraits. Like, you oh know, god, I, like, I think maybe the funniest that. tweet I, I saw just in the hours after uh, she passed away the other day was somebody was saying Etsy's going to crash. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> like the, the amount of commemorative tote bags and mugs yeah. and like sweaters and things like that that like liberals are going to be buying is just going to take Etsy down, um, yeah. which is kind of that is the energy of the kind of um, the the RBG cult. And I mean, we don't even have to go into kind of the weird somebody else on Twitter pointed out the kind of that the notorious RBG kind of meme came out yeah. of like early okay. 2010s Internet culture and was like part of this pattern of like white people talking in like black, like gangsta language yeah. as a oh, way to sure. kind of be ironically yeah. cool. Yeah, it's uh, the black Twitter ain't having no Bernie type of <laughs> thing. Yeah, like. Um, I'm not black Twitter, but I read black Twitter and black Twitter ain't having no Bernie or like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. really cringy, cringy kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. Um, yes, but there's, there's uh, definitely parallels, but it's, uh, 
it's a different type of thing and neither one are going away i think that this q post mm-hmm. you know he's kind of playing it safe like this is not and i don't think any i think that the big like q predictions or the big q theories that people kind of pick out as being wild don't necessarily originate in q's posts themselves like his posts are very impressionistic mm-hmm. and uh you know tend to play it more or less safe you know i guess he's gotten wrong on some things because he definitely has said things like trust sessions whereas now he sessions and trump are kind of enemies but uh you know i think that his prediction that we're gonna have like a really messy election it's definitely gonna fit like you know his predictions around the election is definitely gonna fit with the reality that we're gonna see like yeah, people and, are and, gonna easily be able to apply this to what happens because it's oh, gonna for be sure. a mess for yeah. sure and i think just with in a way, I think a lot of liberals and I, I, I wouldn't say that, like, you know, this is all unfounded because I think the odds of a disputed clusterfuck election are very high. But yeah. kind of the I've noticed almost a a level of hysteria around things like mail in voting and like the, the subversion of the post office that it just in like the tone and the way they're presented almost like presuppose that this election is going to be a disaster and there's kind of nothing we can do about it. Like that instead of either side kind of productively offering suggestions about how this election could be done less chaotically, it's kind of like both sides are stealing themselves for the fight that they know is going to happen. And like in, and beforehand throwing out as much, kind of circumstantial evidence that the other side is cheating as possible so that when this huge media kind of like multifaceted psyop spectacle happens uh the november election that both sides are, are going to fight out over these like more these very thorny issues of like uh legitimacy and it's going to be absolutely disastrous and i think that um yeah. I don't know. It's Both like I think liberals are, like, are almost basically. like giving up already that like it's going to be kind of stolen or, you know, maybe and that's a reflection. Conservatives as well have. They are oh, very yeah. much. I think both sides are very much convinced that the other side is going to try to steal it. And yeah. both sides are probably more or less right because it's going to be like about who can seize control of the narrative because yeah. the counting of the ballots like it's not going to go smoothly. And like we only have like. You know, the only people who we can trust about who won are like, you know, the legacy media or whatever, you know, the traditional sort of gatekeepers who can make this information who most Trump supporters like don't trust. And like and a lot know, of other so, people don't don't particularly trust either. Or well, have yeah, their, no, of course. Problems like, with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just like, you know, uh every no one really trusts them but uh in that case i think a lot of people who don't trust them anyway like as long as you don't like trump they wouldn't have a problem yeah. with it it's sure, the people sure. who support trump are gonna have the biggest problem with what oh, they say sure. if they say biden won you know yeah um, yeah and yeah so and like if they say trump won or whatever or if it seems to be going in that direction for whatever like a uh, shoddy hamid i guess who writes for the atlantic you know he has a lot of like you know a whole his takes run the gamut and he wrote some article recently that was about can the democrats really concede this election you know or are they going to be able to do so uh and i saw people interpreting it from both sides you know republicans were like is that a threat or whatever you know and democrats were saying like you know this is the exact opposite of what you need to be worried about you know uh Uh and so just like both people were taking it like in the exact opposite way and i think that you know that really is a sign that like you know matter what happens like people are going to be 
like in the streets. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know, uh, no matter what, you know, uh, and, there will yeah, be there will be chaos. If Trump wins. Are people really going to put up with it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Like, I think uh, if there's unlike last time where it, you could be mad all you want, but it's like he cleverly gamed the electoral college and targeted areas that Hillary didn't target. And it appears that, you know, he won by enough of a margin. Like there weren't battles over recounts in those states uh, like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. He won by very slim margins, but then there was almost a, you know, a kind of believability to the fact that Hillary Clinton ignored a lot of those states and had policies that were very hostile. And in the last month, like people do forget, like he ramped up, I think this is probably Bannon's like crypto fash kind of influence of like really amp up like the NAFTA stuff, the worker stuff, like Mm -hmm. just like throw out whatever conservative shit you were. I mean, no, it was a lot of conservative stuff still, but the, the economic conservative argument, like the populism thing, he really hammered like nonstop in that last month. And, you know, even uh, liberal hero James Comey had a big part in like throwing off Hillary's momentum uh, in those last weeks, which now that Trump fired him, he's a hero. So and now there's like a Showtime series coming out where like Jeff Daniels reprising his uh his energy from the newsroom um, is going to play like St. Comey uh, squaring off against, you know, the Trump man. And like, there's kind of no consistent. It's just like kind of how Mueller switched from like hero to villain, like in the QAnon world. It's like, like Comey went from villain to hero um, in the 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 liberal world. world. Yeah. And the, in the blue and on universe, but yeah. Yeah. uh, No, I, it's, uh, yeah, I think you know, that it's definitely easier to be like, you know, it was it's harder to kind of be that viscerally upset about the possibility. Like, you know, people were very hopeful for like some people <laughs> were very hopeful for Hillary and that type of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, were very like worried about Trump. But I think that with every like, you know, the situation we're in with COVID, with mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, like all this stuff, like. It's going to be more intense this time for sure. My God. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. There's there's nothing. Nothing is like nailed to the ground. Everything is kind of, you know, we're in a whirlwind right now. And uh, it, it is the probably the most psychologically kind of unstable uh, time for America's mass consciousness in kind of recent memory. We have all experienced criminals in one way or another. Criminals, as we know, are those who choose personal gain over the rights of others and have no regard for the law. But here is where you need to expand your thinking. Criminals can also succeed in business and politics and can be elected as our leaders. If a criminal became the president, imagine what they could achieve. They could use the full weight of their executive power to commit much larger crimes and ensure they and their friends were enriched to the fullest extent possible. A criminal president could create alliances with other criminal presidents and then collaborate on more global criminal activities. Anything goes. Drug running, human trafficking, whatever makes the big bucks. The 20th century was turbulent with war, economic disaster, famines, and displacement. We have always accepted these things as just human nature and simply the way the world works. Something inevitable and due to the weaknesses of human nature that drive us to these actions. This is where we were all tragically wrong. You are not a criminal. I'm not a criminal. 
So how can we just assume that it is human nature that is driving all this pain and misery? What if it wasn't human nature at all, and as a result of something more deliberate? We were taught that capitalism was the cause of a massive rich-poor divide and the reason for poverty, which in turn is the reason for war, crime, and starvation. Others were taught that communism, the system of equal wealth across all people, was really to blame for the mess. But you see, folks, it is none of these things. It is not our nature to fight and be racist. It is not in our nature to rob from others. What you must learn is that it was the criminals all along. The last thing before we go, I wanted to bring up somebody who, like, in line with the thinking of, like, the triangulation, of making Trump seem, you know, more involved uh, than he is in taking down the pedos, but also portraying the deep state as kind of, you know, lashing back and still having some powers, so there's still a threat that needs to be confronted, um... I feel like it's really important to uh, to mention the personality that basically both preceded and is now like a major booster of Q, which is former CIA State Department official Steve Pachenik. Have you heard his name talked about a lot with Q? No, I have. Yeah, see, this is one of those weird things where nobody uh, really has followed up on this, even though... I'd say even more than Pizzagate, even more than FBI and on, he was the person in uh, in the kind of alternative media at the end of 2016 that most accurately sort of, you know, uh, I don't want to say predicted Q, but uh, behaved in the most similar way and pushed uh, the most similar narrative to Q of anybody. So like a little background on Steve Bichenik, like he... I don't know if he does anymore, but in like 2015 and especially in 2016, he was a pretty regular guest on the Alex Jones show on InfoWars. And he's still out there. Uh, He's got like 57,000 Twitter followers. But like I said, he worked in the State Department under uh, Nixon and Henry Kissinger in the 70s and also worked for the CIA. He's actually he wrote he co-wrote a number of books with Tom Clancy in the 90s. And I think I don't know if he said or others have said that basically uh, Steve Bichenik was one of the real life inspirations for the Jack Ryan character. (laughs) so like kind of a little bit of a big deal in the spook world and i think the most the the most interesting thing about steve bachenik that he's actually basically admitted to um and also been accused by an italian court of being involved in is the kidnapping and murder of prime minister aldo moro in italy in the late 1970s the uh the christian democrat prime minister who is uh ostensibly abducted by the red brigades a communist uh underground you know uh, militant movement and was eventually killed by the Red Brigades, uh, and that, this is after Aldo Moro had proposed forming a coalition government with the Italian Communist Party, uh, which the forces of NATO wanted to prevent at all costs. And basically, I think sometime in the 2000s, Pachenik wrote an op-ed basically saying, like, yep, I did it. Uh, we were involved in that, and we were complicit. And, like, I, I think in getting the details, like, was he actually, you know, was it a group, like, kind of in person in the Red Brigades? So the Red Brigades kind of um, 
being used for something they didn't quite understand? Or was his management behind the scenes uh, sort of designed to make it like almost inevitable that the Red Brigades would kill him by basically refusing to negotiate and provoking the Red Brigades to doing that, which would accomplish a very important objective for them? He's also bragged on Infowars, I remember back in 2016, about using rock and roll music and the distribution of radios, particularly to Soviet Navy sailors that were visiting neutral or Western ports. And the promotion of Western-style rock and roll was part of a PSYOP campaign that he was involved in to undermine the Soviet Union in the mid to late 1980s. So that's something that probably can deserve an entire episode. Um, I do, I, I, I'm very interested in like Soviet rock music in the 80s and how some of it became very like wrapped up in perestroika and other things like that. But basically, like, I mean, if you're coming from kind of a left perspective, that means immediately, you know, why the hell would you ever trust this guy who was like on the highest, deepest levels of like Operation Gladio chicanery in Europe in the in the 70s and, you know, anti-communist psyops in the 80s. But if you think about kind of uh, the anti-communist psyop elements of Q, it kind of uh, it kind of syncs up. But what I'm even more specifically kind of referring to with Pachenik is that he kind of infamously went on Alex Jones maybe a week before the election and he announced that a counter coup against the Clintons had been launched by patriotic officials in the military and the intelligence community who basically wanted Trump to win because they were aware of all of the deep, sadistic corruption of the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation. And they apparently, according to Pachenik, had discovered a plot for the Clintons to rig the 2016 election. And so they had launched their own uh, counter coup against the Clinton coup to basically ensure that it honestly sounds a little rig, up in the air. They were going to rig red. They were gonna yeah, they were going to rig for red. Exactly. Yes. And, and he at the time, because this was at the peak fervor of Pizzagate, he tied it to the story that was being floated by Eric Prince, the Blackwater mercenary and brother of uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, uh, child of what was it, the like the Amway fortune or something, like billionaire children, basically. Uh, he went on Breitbart Radio and said that his sources in the NYPD had discovered shocking and sick, depraved content on Anthony Weiner's seized laptop. And right. that basically Pachenik referred to this and tied it all together as basically, you know, we've uncovered their financial corruption, their political corruption, their war crimes, and their child trafficking rings. And the, the patriots inside of the government have had enough, and we are not going to let her steal this election and uh and then trump won like five or six days later so i think uh and and i've looked at um actually i just wanted to read real briefly like from surprisingly from the um one of these conspiracy uh, it's not our conspiracy but it was like uh conspiracy conspiracy commons which i guess is maybe i don't know if it's an offshoot of our conspiracy but somebody uh named American Rye posted this one month ago, and I think it's actually like an interesting way to frame Steve Pachenik and Q. So this is called Steve Pachenik and QAnon. 
and says, I recently, I've recently become aware of Steve Pachenik and have has since viewed many of his videos on YouTube. What I started to realize is that this man, who claims connections to high-level U.S. intelligence, was basically a reinvention of the Q persona. If we were to assume the government actively targets potential dissidents, either through agitprop or controlled opposition, then we would expect the right and the left to be targeted at some level, and likely with individual approaches. In Steve's videos and Alex Jones' interviews, he makes countless warnings to conservatives that a struggle is underway to save the country, a fight against good and evil, right versus left, always in support of Trump and in line with the comeback hero narrative. He's allegedly a CIA and Pentagon intelligence officer with direct admission of performing agitprop and destabilizing techniques in foreign countries. Rather than be ashamed of his past, he wears it proudly. In regards to Q, I'd like to share an alleged Q-related video um, featuring the familiar white rabbit and showing a gentleman by the name of Colonel Cooster. And he shows a video. Uh, Cooster shows in this video a white rabbit offering the metaphorical red pill or blue pill. The white rabbit invokes you down the hole with options that I'm are just very. Just picturing this right now, I... and it's really something. <laughs> yeah, 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 they did use the white rabbit a lot. Q did. Um, yeah. I forgot early on. Um, and you know, a lot of Matrix references, obviously. Uh. So the white rabbit invokes you down the hole with options that are very dualistic, in essence, forcing a Hegelian dialectic in the backdrop of military authority. Searching for that name on Google eventually finds the following document by a Colonel Sean Cooster. Other articles indicate Cooster is lead in command at Army Garrison Benelux, a multinational base in Brussels, not too far from NATO headquarters. In the paper, Cooster discusses national strategic theory for a class at the Army War College, focusing on how to predict future threats in the, quote, gray zone. Colonel Cooster proceeds to discuss the need at the strategic level to look for trends in non-state actors, events that would precipitate a black swan event but not occur in the direct periphery of military establishment. This is basically the modus operandi of QAnon, the controlled narrative and feeding of the disillusioned right. It's couched in the language of conspiracy theories to entice the suspicious and bearing the savior complex to capture the faithful. Its pseudo-puzzle drops invoke the military as sort of call to action and embellished uh, for the detail-oriented. The the Cooster report is basically intended to apply a fight to disrupt globalism at the basic QAnon interpretation, but could easily apply to the basic rationale for fabricating a Q-like persona online. The government would need to predict future threats, including public sentiment trends, and act to kneecap them, essentially. Trend analysis and large data, probably like analyzing places like our conspiracy and other internet sites where non-mainstream ideas are discussed, would probably indicate an emerging anti-government backlash on many levels. It would also be useful pending any sudden direct social social shock, especially a financial collapse, to disarm the potential prime actors who could rebel, and typically those are on the right. Um, he says, Steve is a caricature of QAnon, an authority figure espousing a savior complex aimed at managing the online conspiracy theorist type that support Trump. His angle is, quote, high-level intelligence. He was and likely still is a counterintelligence agent, this time playing a false role online. Um, and it's worth noting that, like, the first responses to this are, no, I think he sounds rather genuine playing such a false role online would be self-defeating why on earth would they do that <laughs> um and a bunch of other people being like oh if you think steve chenick's fake and listen to this interview 
Uh, so, uh, clearly it's kind of, yeah, uh, you're fighting an uphill battle with the Q people questioning these very real suspicious kind of background of Steve Bichenik. But I think that was kind of a pretty good, uh, I want to look at this like Cooster thing, but I think they're kind of getting it like maybe like closest to how I feel about people like Steve Bichenik and this QAnon universe and this idea of managing a culture of conspiracy theory that you can weaponize for specific political purposes. Yeah. Uh, I think that it definitely uh, resonated as something that uh, sounds viable. Uh, and I think that there are definitely those aspects to it. Uh, there, It's a very, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a, a very uh, archetypal and very emblematic aspect of our current moment and something that I think is going to be with us for a while and uh we've gone through some of its transformations in the podcast today but i think that there's going to be further transformations uh that uh will make this uh look tame i think and i will say that that guy's invocation of the hegelian dialectic i think actually does check out in the broader when uh you do antifa to destroy a suburb no sorry yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah. um but yeah yeah Um, yeah though of course i mean uh, yeah, going against that, I think I forgot to mention earlier that, you know, I think one of these uh, Freedom First Network Q people had claimed that at a 2014 Marine Corps, like, commemorative dinner in which Donald Trump was given an award, General Joseph Dunford recruited Trump to run for president. So this has all been the generals all along, you know, right, yeah. running. He and and probably up. Steve Bachanek, who's a patriot who we should trust. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael yeah, Flynn. Trump, Trump gave it all up. You know, he had everything. He was, you know, he gave it all up just to fight the pedos, you know, at the urging of the patriotic generals. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think that, you know, many things are, are dialectical and, uh, you know, it might be that we perceive them this way because of the influence of Hegel and of the influence of Marx as well. But definitely there's like this sort of pincer aspect to it and i think that uh these people are aware of these kind of formulations and they use dialectics in their approach to implementing these things as well so oh, of course uh, i think there's so many you know. I, we've already discussed so many instances throughout this podcast of how they look at something overseas that ostensibly another country that is marxist is doing and then they sort of take like they get inspired by the own straw man version of that that they kind of cook up in their heads and then reapply it back at home, like towards the goal of reinforcing like the status quo and and like ruling class domination and to, like embed it deeper. So even something as fundamental as a like dialectical materialism or the Hegelian dialectic. Um, I mean, it's in, like you know, yeah. does behind closed doors Mike Schur like actually understand dialectics or? I don't know about him, but definitely some yeah. people. Uh, I think it, smarter it is, people that don't somewhat have... genuine, but maybe yeah, like uh, definitely some do. And even other theory, like as well, like Deleuze, I'm sure is definitely no used and, and known by these people like you know concepts like deterritorialization stuff like that and i think that even if you take it on an esoteric level like baphomet as we've discussed you know he's a dialectical figure who's uh you know embodies the uh the co- composition of opposites you know like uh, right and even satan himself you know appears as an angel of light and that type of stuff this like that's why you know even from the beginning like it's very hard to like pin down the sides and like uh 
hope that we've like communicated it well in this podcast but part of it is like the seductiveness and the sense of righteousness and mm-hmm. the sort of the, the being on the side of good versus evil but really mm-hmm. that's part of the seductions that are used often by forces that are are evil for lack of a better word totally and uh, let, let's not, not for lack of a better one sure but yeah i mean i guess we we yeah. can't un we can't like uh really we shouldn't underappreciate the strong desire on just a human basic human level of wanting to sort of understand like the forces of good and evil in the world and being aligned with the good side. Like you have to sort of forego so much psychological peace and serenity and sanity to start to think about the things that I think we talk about all the time, you know, that like require constant, like critical, analysis and weighing things that you can't quite make a decision on. And I think something like Q or even being like a a Mueller Stan, um, they offer you this like very Manichaean, easy narrative, this, this dialect, this like crude, uh, vulgar dialectic of the world. And you can know what side to get onto. And yeah, it's interesting how you can take it kind of from the angle of both of our kind of, uh, you know, uh, little wheelhouses, because like it's also like they're delving into like spiritual, uh, like they're dealing with spirituality. But a lot of the time, I mean, it's a in a vulgar way and a lot of time they don't even realize that that's what they're dealing with because there isn't the sort of experience or the, the knowledge uh, and they're dealing with it in a like a. They're unprepared to kind of delve into these like things that are these great questions, these great problems of mm-hmm. like you know human existence on this planet, you know, and uh, yeah, like uh, this is a spiritual movement that you know they're in many ways like uh, you know going people are going along with, but yeah, they it's uh you know in the same way that you know there's that kind of uh warnings about tampering with ouija boards or whatever being unprepared trying to meddle with this stuff like i think that there's that aspect to these kind of things as well you know sure good intentions but yeah 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 and i also it almost makes me think that like maybe this is like this is sort of a problem in the sort of modernist western tradition like you it doesn't require the total kind of qualitative understanding of a sort of a social technology, like say a spiritual belief or an actual type of technology in order to successfully weaponize it and use it as a weapon. Cause I feel like that's kind of like for, like you could see like the, the dialectic being born out in like NATO's strategy of tension. Like that's Mm -hmm. almost, it seems like it maps on very closely to like even what Michael Schuer says of like, that's when you like, you sow chaos on both sides. And then, you know, this, the, the, the yeah. idea of like the strategy of tension was that they would run to the security state and the government for support. You like, you see that in 9-11 as well. And by, by maybe having some inner, some control of the red brigades and the neo-fascists in like propaganda due and the security services and like have them like engineer events or, you know, provoke events to happen that cause these two sides that create lots of chaos. And then people have to go running for a sense of like psychic safety somewhere. Um, So it's like in that, that seems like a very vulgar way of reading like Marx's dialectics or his materialism, but like nonetheless, a somewhat effective 
weapon, yeah. even though they're ripe to like misunderstand. So maybe maybe Michael Schur ha- has that crude conception of dialectics because maybe he was involved in Operation Gladio yeah. and thinks of it just as like that's when you cynically just like play both sides against each other and cause a lot of violence and chaos. And yeah, then, like, like the, the national security state yeah. takes over. I, I think, like, if you put it in, like, the Cold War context, he might be totally, like, down with it. But now he thinks that Soros individually is, like, running it. So, yeah. like, it needs to be stopped. And, uh, but, you know, like, when they were, you know, Marx did it with an evil end. Or, you know, Marxist-Leninist did it with an evil end. But he's just, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. And I think that something similar, like, takes place with, QAnon. I think this kind of came out in some aspects of our conversation where, like, yeah, like, uh, to oppose it, you know, if you're, like, some dude and your wife is like, honey, like, you're getting carried away with this QAnon stuff. Like, now your wife is all of a sudden, like, defending, like, the worst thing, like, in human, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's really, like, yeah, it's Manichaean. Like, mm-hmm. it's hyper, it's hyper dialectical. Maybe even um, a way, like, more Hegelian than Marxist because it puts kind of the, the, the prime mover status on, like, ideas and spirit. And if you think about how, like, social media protests and, like, the Twitter revolutions and the Facebook revolutions and Anonymous and QAnon and all these things, like, operate, it's basically, um, it's idea, it's meme-driven. Yeah. In a way, it is meme magic because they're conjuring these, like, thought forms and then using them to, like, influence people and bring people into this, like, online mega horde that then can go out and influence the real world. So in a way, it's like flipping Marx back on its feet yeah. or whenever, I think flipping that that, Hegel back over. That has always been, you know, this is unorthodox Marxism, but it's always been implied in Marx. Like this whole binary of this is a dialectic yeah. of material versus spiritual, sure. which like doesn't like hold up. This is something that like we need to accept uh-huh. there like that that intuition or that idea. I definitely subscribe to that the material and the spiritual binary is not helpful and especially in like the universe that we live in now where we're you know with the internet and with the kind of uh, virtual uh nature of our uh the way that we exist uh and the way that we interact socially like uh uh, something that tries to be material at the expense of the spiritual or to jettison the spiritual and therefore thereby be material isn't sufficient uh and i think that that is uh, yeah, I take a strong stance of that. You know, I think there's a lot of value in Marx, but I will say definitely that, like, you know, the the spiritual needs to be accounted for, and it, anything that doesn't attempt to deal with this component uh, is going to be inadequate. Um, you know, like. Uh, yeah, you know, and I yeah. I I am compelled by that by that read on it, and I think that even if you know, perhaps this is not as obvious in the late 19th century, but now that we live in a world where our lives are literally mediated every day through Mm -hmm. this kind of technological spirit world, the internet that has been created, that is full of, like, daemons and, like, idea ghosts and things like that that do influence people in the material reality, that there's room there, perhaps, for some, like, updated kind of um, clarification of 
like kind of how dialectics practically work or instead of putting kind of like a pyramid where like the you know the base like always like creates the superstructure and not to like not to fundamentally undermine like those concepts but it's almost like there is a dialectic going on between the spiritual and the material itself in addition to like the internal dialectics of the material world and you can't just think that it's just the material world that is functioning dialectically like they the two are no longer just kind of separate spheres of influence or one is not on top of the other they're they're, more cybernetically linked now in a literal and figurative way to use another like stock theoretical term like they're always already interacting uh you know (laughs) it's they're always already interacting um wow yeah and uh yeah so uh, where you know where materialism goes one spiritualism goes all basically I guess you could see uh, I guess you could say where they go one <laughs> they go all yeah and uh, I think I think we could leave it there for now I'm sure yeah. Q will once like Q terrorism happens in 2021 we'll talk about it again um yeah but future uh, proves past future future proves past that that's our that's our two delta that we're dropping um, yeah that's our breadcrumb but uh um, yeah I, I I hope uh this was an informative ride through uh, a very very strange phenomenon oh uh one last thing i looked up israel shamir and he's christian uh never was muslim so we don't have anything to do with him uh okay fair enough nominally uh, and i would add it probably makes him more sus because like what kind of christian is he and uh you know uh norman finkelstein said that he made up his entire backstory so who knows if he even was jewish yeah uh but anyway yeah so fascinating uh, throwing that out you know keep keep giving those uh, giving those bitcoin donations the assange fund guys uh yeah he's a hero our much like Q, our future depends on him not going to jail for like sexual harassment charges or something. Um, yeah. Sorry, not to be glib, but I'm a little over it. It's been a rough for decade sure. online. It has been. <laughs> I don't trust yeah. anybody. All right. Well, uh, well, dear listeners, um, until next time, stay vigilant. Peace. Crooked bankers, Rothschilds on the run. Deep state players, we know what you've done. A light is coming in, expose your every sin. As the mainstream media lies come undone. Here's a great man that drives them all insane. And he's gonna make America great again. I really want to introduce you to my friend Q and the people of the Great Awakening. Not long ago, as we all know, the CIA and NSA recorded every step we made. Surveillance state recorded everything we say. Tracking everything we do every single day Our privacy stolen by the deep state They didn't hide their crimes, that's a very big mistake They didn't think about the good guys in the NSA Cause they thought that Hillary would be the president today Here's a message to all my friends Let me tell you about something that's happening About a movement called the Great Awakening The QAnon phenomenon is going mainstream This time is coming round To use the evidence and bring them down And we'll all just laugh as they fall the proof of the crime and it's gonna be released all in good time but first let's drain the swamp clean the dump expose the lies get the lying dirty judges out then we'll shine the light until there's no end and show Obama light to get a FISA warrant the DNC and Hillary spider legally on the Trump campaign and his family that's a major crime you see they lost their power they can't defend we're witnessing the beginning of their end these people are stupid they can't pretend cause they never thought that Trump would win now Chris
screwed and all they have left is a bunch of fake news It won't fix this mess, they're all out of luck And nothing will work to see on its up Here's a message to all my friends Let me tell you about something that's happening About a movement called The Great Awakening The QAnon phenomenon is going mainstream This time is coming round To use the evidence and bring them down And we'll all just laugh as they fall and crawl Cause where we go one, we go all The deep state wants to win the next election Try to take control of the House and the Senate Try to stop Trump and Q and all the decisions But their voting bases indicate Hashtag walk away Remember now, this is just the start Cause it's all coming down like a house of cards There's more people going down in due time Like all the dirty CEOs that resigned They'll try to keep everyone in the dark With the use of Hollywood, Susan, Jack, and Mark To hide the fact that they're all evil and sick Child trafficking, pedophile, Satanists Their time is up, soon they won't even exist Military trials, seal indictments God's justice being served for all their sins Their time is up, that's all, that's it Here's a message to all my friends Let me tell you about something that's happening About a movement called The Great Awakening The QAnon phenomenon is going 